0: to cut the theater
1: department. No Our Town this year because of Scott.
0: (laughs) I would work with Dylan
2: O'Brien any day of the week. What's a burnout house like you doing in a place like this? (laughs) (laughs) And Hollywood loves to kill me.
0: Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Calissa Mullis, and I'm joined by Kate Colvin
1: and Will Wallace.
0: Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit and TV series one episode at a time. This week, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 9, Wolfsbane. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections alpha and beta. The beta section is for first timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, alpha is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the alpha and beta sections. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast, as well as on Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to beaconhills at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreoncom RTBH Podcast and join the pack.
1: This week's Alpha Patron Howl Out goes to Avery. Thank you, Avery, for helping to support the show.
0: This episode title is Wolf's Bane and it was written by Jonathan Rossler and directed by Tim Andrew. In this episode, the Alpha, Derek, and the police all converge on Adrian Harris, who may have a key piece of information regarding the hail fire. Kate offers to help Allison learn to defend herself. Scott tries to get close to Allison and as far away from Jackson as possible, but Jackson has other plans. Styles and Listanis help to trace the fake text Allison received that was supposed to be from Scott and he and Derek make a startling discovery.
3: This week's favorite quote is from Lydia Martin, who says, dumped by the co-captain of the lacrosse team. I wonder how many minutes it'll take me to get over that. Wait, seconds, actually. Seconds. You do a great Lydia voice. Very Thank you, good. I try. And our honorable mention for this week is from, of course, Stiles Delinsky who says, if I'm harboring your fugitive ass, It's my house, my rules, buddy.
1: I feel like that should be a 1980s TV show. And every teaser, it's about, you know, it's like Odd Couple, but with Derek and Styles. And every teaser ends with, if I'm harboring your fugitive ass, it's my house, my rules, buddy. And it goes into (laughs) awesome 1980s TV montage.
3: They do have kind of an Odd Couple energy.
1: All right. So what, uh, what happened this week? on Team Wolf, guys. Who wants to jump in first?
3: So the Alpha
0: visits Mr. Harris, the chemistry teacher, or I'm sorry, professor at Beacon Hills (laughs) High School, showing him a list made by Laura Hale. Apparently Laura was looking for Harris and the Alpha knows why. The Alpha gets close to killing Harris, but Derek saves him. Before Derek can turn his attention to catching the Alpha, the police arrive and he has to evade both them and the Argent.
1: I've said it before and I'll say it again. This is my favorite teaser of season one maybe because i've yet to rewatch the entire series as we go the entire show i reserve judgment on changing that later but it is definitely my favorite teaser in season one i just love how creepy it is i love the lighting of it it's super moody i love how harris professor harris uh can't look at the alpha just cannot bring himself to look at the monster that's behind him i think that's so cool it reminds me of like hp lovecraft stuff where all the monsters and those stories are indescribable, that it's just so horrifying. Your brain just melts. And <laughs> mm-hmm. so I like that, but also really circuits. like, yeah, just short circuits. Your brain just can't handle the horror of it. But I love in this teaser because Adrian knows what the list means. He, Laura Hale's already come to him and he maybe, yeah, I guess he knows that Lara Hale's dead. I'm sure that's news around town and he knows he's involved in exactly what happened and that the Alpha has something to do with that. And I also love that you just get like the Alpha's hand, and at one point you just as he's like stalking towards uh, Professor Harris, you just get like it's obviously like a full suit that this actor is wearing, and you just see like him from behind for just like a couple of frames. It's fantastic. I really, I really like it. And we hear the Alpha speak for the first time, and it's so cool. It just, I feel like this season is really great with the monster aspect of it of of just like the central mystery because like in episode three you get there's another werewolf and it's the i mean we we kind of knew this from the pilot but we kind of forget about it a little bit and then it's the alpha and you get those glowing red eyes and then you start to see it and it's this big hulking monster and then it speaks and you're like it just gets worse and worse Like every new bit of information about the alpha just makes the situation even more dire.
3: And the modulation they did on his voice is really cool.
1: Yes. And it's definitely, or at least to my ear, it's Ian Bowen because we do get Ian Bowen's reveal at the end of this episode. And it just sounds so cool. Like whoever did the audio work on his voice just made it sound so deep and big and, and it's just fantastic.
3: So as Derek is running away from everyone who's chasing him, he sort of slides to the ironworks and it looks great. And we learned from Tim Andrew that that was actually Tyler Hecklin who did that stunt and who suggested it in the first place because it's sort of a baseball move, but it looks great on screen. It It looks fantastic. This action sequence.
0: I was very impressed by it. We also know that he can do his own um, backflips.
1: Do you think all the unnecessary flipping in Teen Wolf started... With where he was like, this scene's really cool, Jeff, but you know what would make it better? Me backflipping into it. And Jeff was and like- he was right. I mean, mm-hmm. Yes, I concur.
3: I mean, maybe, but I also feel like the Hale family's flair for the dramatic is well-established from the very beginning. That's very true. That's, That's true.
1: very true. It does feel and like we, every Hale member is
3: drama. We very much see this in the first season with Peter and Derek, you know, to some degree. It's a family tradition.
0: Do you feel like Peter would have been like a drama teacher if not for the fire?
1: No, I think Peter would have been one of those guys that's like, I'm going to teach you the five tricks you need to get anyone to do what you want. So he's starting
0: like, a cult. <laughs>
1: he's like evil Tony Robbins.
0: Yeah. Just well, without the teeth. I mean, Or just regular Tony regular, Robbins. Yeah. Or, or
1: regular Tony <laughs> Robbins. No, that's true. Scott and Styles in Derek's car pick him up. Derek explains that the last time he talked to Laura, she was close to figuring something out. She had found Harris's name and a symbol. Scott recognizes the symbol as the one on Allison's necklace. He wants to get Allison to give him the necklace so they can research the symbol, but Allison still doesn't want to see him.
4: Wah, wah.
1: I feel like their plan doesn't make a lot of sense. It
0: makes zero country. sense. It,
1: it of just like who's driving what car and for what purpose. And then, but still, the cops still arrive at the school for Derek. I just want.
3: Right. I, I think what's confusing about it is why everyone seems to know this information. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I I understand that the alpha went to kill Harris at the same time that Derek was going to interrogate him. Mm -hmm. That I think was just a coincidence that they both kind of reached that point in Laura's research and were following up on the leads that she was following up on. Yeah. That's fine. But then I guess the police also get there, so someone must have seen Derek on the way there, I guess, and called the police.
0: Which I can imagine, like, the Argents have, like, a police scanner that they listen to. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense, I guess, like, if the once the police knew about it, that, the Argents did, but then, yeah, like, at what point did Kate start following Derek's car? Were they just speeding around town, hoping to get attention?
3: Right,
4: like,
0: right. like yeah. that, that's,
3: that's the part that's confusing, like, how would they have known... That the cops were going to show up or that the Argents were going to show up because they would have had to have already had Derek's car. Yeah, so right. I guess, yeah, the question is like, was Derek kind of like, it's your fault that I'm a fugitive? So while I'm going to talk to your chemistry teacher, just drive around in my car.
1: Cause it kind of feels like he could have not involved Scott or Styles at all and just. Quietly gone to Harris,
4: right? And
1: nothing, and none of the other parts. I mean, it's all exciting and fun. Don't get me wrong, there, but it's just like I feel some of this, like many backflips, was a little unnecessary mm-hmm. for your plan. I
3: just don't understand. They didn't know that someone would spot Derek, right? Or that them driving the car would even help, because were they just hoping to split up the police resources in the event that someone saw Derek? I, a-
1: yes. you know, like, I think that- maybe. What would fix this is if in the previous episode or maybe if this scene came later in the episode where you have information where you're like the sheriff's department is on high alert. Like they've got people like just doing grid searches of Beacon Hills driving around looking for this car. Like they are looking for the car. They're looking for Derek Hale. And Derek's like, I need to find Harris. Like I need to talk to him. And they're like, well, the best thing to do is since everyone's looking for you is give them something to chase while you are doing this thing. And then Mm -hmm. it can all fall apart. But we don't have any of that information. So we don't have like their reasoning for doing all of these, what feels like extraneous action.
0: Is anyone else shocked that Derek let Scott drive his car? Yes. Scott doesn't even have his own car. No, he doesn't. I'm
3: utterly shocked.
0: I feel like it's just because Styles was su- super enthusiastic about doing it, and he just like gave it to Scott like as a thank f- you.
1: Yes, it would be great if like Derek like is cha- is being is is being chased by the cops, and he's running around, and he comes to like the spot where they're supposed to meet, and he comes and just finds Scott and Styles like just standing here. He's like, "Where's the car?" And they just look over, and it's like totaled,
0: oh. and they're
1: like,
3: what? "Do you know where the lake is?" Because
1: <laughs> oh. it is at the bottom, and Styles is like. I should have driven. I told you he doesn't have a car.
3: That is an extra terrible thought because in my headcanon, that's Laura's car. Oh.
1: Oh, right. Yes, uh, I remember that.
0: I always forget that's not canon because it's just been, not just years, a lot of people's headcanons for a long time. Hmm, great minds. I wonder if secretly Derek ever wishes that Styles were the one that had been bitten. I know he spends a lot of time, like, scolding him. But I feel like some small part of Derek has to appreciate that Styles is at least willing to ask important questions and not just whine about, uh, Allison, uh, lacrosse. Like, he actually seems interested in what's going on and mm-hmm. Scott just wants to get out
3: of it. I think so. And it was interesting watching Search for a Cure when Scott had brought up Derek and Styles was like, you're saying his name. Are you just doing this to hurt me?
0: I know that was which great. was kind of a funny line. Yeah, like it's like bringing up an ex. Like, ugh, yes, did you talk about them. You know, I'm still hurting.
3: I know it was kind of yeah. It's almost like the way that they talk about each other is a little bit methinks the lady doth protest too much. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs>
1: yeah, totally.
3: Meanwhile, a doctor examines the wound on the back of Jackson's neck, which Derek had caused with his claws when he was looking for Scott five episodes ago. Jackson admits that he's been having nightmares of a burning house and people screaming. He hallucinates that the doctor is pulling a long vine covered in purple flowers out of his neck. But in reality, the doctor has only prescribed an antibiotic. He diagnoses Jackson with aconite poisoning or toxicity caused by wolfsbane. This is Tyler's dad, John Posey. It is.
1: That's right.
3: Fun fact. This scene is fantastic. It is so creepy. The, the sound design of the vine being pulled out of his neck, the like wet, fleshy sound is just so unnerving and fantastic.
0: I love the petals falling to the ground.
3: The petals and the blood. It's like purple petals and blood splatter. It's, it's a beautiful shot. Creepy
1: quite good. and beautiful. Quite right. good. I feel like this is a, like when we did talk to John Posey, that this is a great example of a teen wolf scene that starts fine, gets worse, turns into a nightmare. Like it just kind of has these wonderful degrees of escalation and it's fantastic.
0: I love when it switches from Dr. Fenris to Derek. Dr. <laughs> Derek is in the house and he's still got like the blue gloves on. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be hygienic. Either. Yeah, not hygienic. Right.
1: He's, he's a sanitary wolf, so... <laughs> <laughs> No, this is, this is just a great scene. And then Jackson wakes up and he discovers he's been poisoned by wolfsbane somehow. How do y'all think that happened?
3: I would like to say that the fact that the doctor is like, you have wolfsbane poisoning, well, aconite poisoning, but you know, wolfsbane, and doesn't seem to think that is strange at all. He's like, hey, have you been eating any wild herbs? (laughs) Like, what? That is definitely the first hint that this doctor might know a little more than your average doctor about supernatural goings on. Yeah. Because that is not a normal diagnosis to be giving a 16-year-old boy. Nope. He just
0: isn't up on the trends and he just figures, oh, this is what like teenagers are smoking these days. Right. (laughs) Growing up Spain.
3: Did you you roll one? Did you roll one with some purple flowers? (laughs) Is that what y'all are doing now? This is what came after Tide Pods. Those
4: blunts?
0: <laughs> I wonder if he asked Jackson how he got those scratches because they're pretty unique. It's not like sexy times possible scratches. Unless like, what's going on between
3: you and your girlfriend? <laughs> Does she just like clamp down on you so you can't move? Like what's happening there?
1: Yeah. That's yeah. deep. So how do y'all think Jackson got that poisoning? Because he has not been smoking the wolf's bane.
0: Well, I feel like... He got it from Derek because whenever Derek put his claws in them, Derek was dying from the wolf's vein poisoning.
1: That's true.
0: Right. It's like coursing through his system.
3: Which actually means that Styles was right in Magic Bullet and the aconite poisoning that Derek had was contagious. So, point one Styles. There you go. While at the hospital, Jackson pretends to be a good friend of
0: Scott's to get Melissa to let him look something up on her computer. I love Jackson's face when she says that he probably doesn't hear no very often. It's just so fantastic. He's like, yeah, that's,
3: so like you're not that's, wrong. that's my
0: life. <laughs> and I also love that Jackson came and be bothered to wait till he gets home to look this up. He's got to Google it right then and there.
3: Although it isn't actually Google. It's their, their fake search engine, which is inquiry it. <laughs>
1: It rolls right off the tongue.
0: I <laughs> yeah. love the name of fake search engines in movies and TV shows.
3: Flugel. I have to go flugel this now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love to flugel things daily. Then he confronts Scott, saying he knows what Scott is. And however he became that way, he's going to have to get it for Jackson. Or else Jackson will tell Allison the secret. Dun-da-da. Dun, dun. The great blackmail maneuver.
1: Yes.
3: He knows his cheekbones do not work on Scott. <laughs> Which is crazy because he's everyone's type. He is everyone's he type.
1: Is. Scott's attempts to get back in Alice's good graces fail miserably. Styles tells Scott just to steal the necklace from her instead. With Harris under a 24-hour protective detail, the necklace is their only lead on the alpha.
0: So Scott, like, sends the, the pictures to Allison, and I would just love to know who took that picture of Allison and Scott in the woods, because it's clearly from the tell. I know. <laughs> I don't think that, they have the old school phones. It wasn't like you could prop that up somewhere and do, like, a timer yeah. photo. It's just, and it's also very high quality.
1: Yeah, it's very high quality for a phone that probably had like one megapixel <laughs> <laughs> <That's pretty laughs> nice camera. I mean, that's do like, you think they couldn't have just done like a selfie?
0: You know? um,
1: I mean, it wouldn't have looked as good, but it's... Plausible.
0: I feel like that's why she gets up and leaves. She's just like, we clearly had someone stalking us and you're just sending me that photo like it's good times all around.
3: <laughs> Who is that creeper? Was it dear, Kale? Our stalker sent that to you and you just send it to me like it's not <laughs> a big deal.
0: Kids are always just getting up and leaving class and the teachers cannot even be bothered. She's just like, oh, look, jealousies. That relates back to Othello, which we're reading in class.
3: Right, she's <laughs> like, now bringing it back to Shakespeare.
1: I think it's been pretty well established that Many things can't be bothered to be dealt with at this school. You know, Scott breaking a locker, Scott breaking a wall with his head. People just saying the craziest things about monsters, not even in a whisper while sitting on the stair. Mm -hmm. You know, things like that. And it's just like, people just let it go. They just... Right over their heads, or they're just so used to it now. and
3: We see that right in this episode, in the next scene, which is uh, in the cafeteria. Yes. Scott gets really upset because Jackson is threatening to seduce Allison to get back at Scott if Scott doesn't deliver what he wants. Scott just breaks a tray.
1: Just in half. Just writing, uh, surrounded by people. Half. And no one's like, that's really weird. People are just like, pass the curly fries. Need the curly <laughs> fries. You know, and it's just like, what is happening here?
0: John is doing so much property damage to the school. Like he said, he <laughs> broke a tray, dented the locker, put a freaking hole in the wall with his head. Not to mention all the damage that the alpha did in right. night school. I mean, you go to public school, Scott, they cannot afford your crazy antics here.
1: Yeah. Very your true.
3: shenanigans are expensive.
1: Maybe at Beacon Hills Prep, this flies. <laughs>
0: right, right. They had to cut the theater department because of this, Scott. So I hope you're
1: happy. I hope you're happy. No, our town this year because of Scott.
3: <laughs> <laughs> With Styles in this scene, what we learn is that once again, nobody taught that boy how to eat food.
0: I love, love the way Styles eat. I need a video compilation of all the times we see Styles eating. And it's just, I feel like, a, I assume that was a choice by Dylan O'Brien and it was brilliant. It's just so adorable and hilarious
1: styles doesn't know how to eat food but because of that i feel like sheriff stolinski is probably a master at the heimlich maneuver and has probably saved styles's life no less than a dozen times (laughs) while they've been eating together you know so styles get styles is jamming food into his maw and uh (laughs) And he's super excited about something Stolinsky's te- you know, telling him about, and then all of a sudden he starts to choke. And Stolinsky's like, "Oh God!" He puts his yeah. arms around his waist and does it. And then Styles probably just keeps going without even
3: right. He gets excited. He gasps. He aspirates a curly fry. He chokes out the curly fry during the Heimlich maneuver, and then finishes the thought that he was having when he gasped.
1: Exactly. It's all <laughs> in, all in like the span of like three seconds. You
3: I know honestly. what I? Forgot how much fun this episode was from start to finish. It's, it's a just fun. a fun episode. It's a really good one. So the threat of Jackson getting with Allison seems all the more real as Jackson insinuates himself closer to Allison and breaks up with Lydia through text. Ouch! Oof.
0: Rude, but I do his comment of "See, it's not a joke," or else I would have put "Ha ha ha" at the end. It's oh just, my god!
3: It's so his delivery so of that is so and funny, hilarious. It's and then I I love Holland's delivery of her line there about I wonder how many seconds it'll take me to get over that seconds. <laughs> I want to I just want to shake my fist at the sky. <laughs> seconds.
0: We, we didn't get this in honorable mentions, but I do feel like maybe it should have been his line about how his cheeks are like aerodynamic for swimming. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Later in the day, Jackson and Allison are swimming, and. He turns it into a bit of a competition and he easily wins. He makes the comments about how he had unfair advantage because of his cheekbones.
3: They're aerodynamic They're, in water. They are great cheekbones.
0: It's so creepy seeing him with her after what we just heard from him in the previous scene with him taunting Scott. But also I really like the relationship between Allison and Jackson, as I've said before. Not in a shipping it kind of way, but they're just really fun together.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: They have an interesting relationship.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Allison does not perceive him as like a romantic interest at all. Like it never seems like that. I feel like like he feels
0: the same way for, for her.
1: No, no. I think it's great where it's just friends. And it's like that is okay, you know. Or so people can be friends, except unless you're watching, you know, how when Harry met Sally, because men and women can't be friends. Uh, but, anyone uh, could be
0: just friends with Billy Crystal. <laughs> yeah. After school on the day of the big game, when Styles is supposed to play first line for the very first time, Styles finds Derek hiding out in his bedroom, and Derek totally looks like a cardboard cutout back there. We see him just like lurking there. He totally does. We still need to get us one of those just to pop up behind us. I feel so bad for Styles in this episode. It's tough hearing the sheriff's praise knowing that Styles won't make the game later.
1: Yeah, it's...
4: It's
1: It's really (laughs) rough. And Calissa, this is a prime example of what I believe you were talking about. When Scott wants something, he does anything to get it. And currently in season one, it is Allison and LaCrosse. Like those Mm -hmm. are the things he wants both. And everything else kind of orbits around those two things. Right. But Styles is like, I want first line so bad. Like I want it so bad. Call me Biles. Call me Biles. And, but he gives it up. Yeah. You know, not, not willingly, like he's not like, oh, no, this is totally fine. He's he's conflicted the entire time and upset about it, but he doesn't.
0: I feel like he really is. I don't, well, I mean, I think he's upset about disappointing his father, yeah. but I feel like he knows this has to be done. I don't feel like he's conflicted that he knows that there's a choice to be made. I feel like he doesn't think there's a choice. He needs to do this because... That's what has to happen. Right. And Scott wouldn't do that. He'd follow what he wants to do. And we saw that. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, Scott wants to have his cake and eat it too. And Styles is just like, bad things are happening. How do we deal with it? Like, right. what what, what do I have to give up for, for no one else to get hurt type of thing?
0: Styles insists that Derek has to follow his rules while in his house, to which Derek agrees, although he does manage to intimidate Stiles anyway.
3: I love every single frame of this sequence. Everything about this is perfect. Like, Styles' line about my house, my rules, and then he kind of, like, smacks Derek's shoulder, and then Derek looks down where he touched him, and there's a moment where Styles' face is like, did I just f*** up by like touching him? Is he going to like yeah. kick my ass? And then Derek kind of like gives this solemn nod. And then Styles was like, no, I got away with it. Oh, this is dope. And so he's like very like magnanimously, you know, fixing Derek's jacket. And Derek is like straightening Styles' flannels. And just when you think that that sequence is over is when Derek does that little like fake out sort of feigning an attack towards Styles. He's like, "Oh God!" Yeah, <laughs> it's great. It's, it's a fantastic great.
1: moment. <laughs> it's so good. It's like the encapsulation of their relationship in like ten seconds. It's like that's it. That is the relationship right there. Yeah. That is their whatever you want to call it in ten whole seconds. And it's fantastic. It's so good. <laughs> Hecklin has great comic timing. You know, like yeah. he, I feel like mm-hmm. it's he's not obviously as physical as Dylan is or as the character Styles is, but he's very funny you know he's not ever really trying to be but it's just the things he does end up being very funny and normally and usually it's it's dealing with styles though yeah I I feel like that's kind of his version of playful is yeah
0: it is yeah styles is the only person that Derek would react that way to with the like readjusting of the jacket and the fake out and everything he wouldn't do that with Scott he wouldn't do that with Jackson I mean he he was sarcastic and intimidating to Jackson, but not, it wasn't playful. It, it was, was like, not playful you're an at asshole all. and you deserve this. Yeah, yeah exactly.
3: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just, and it's it's very subtle because Derek is not a happy or playful character. You know, we were just talking about, we do not see him smile very often. We never hear him laugh. He's just not a very playful character, except occasionally with styles. Yeah. They have these like very subtle interactions where- Derek is kind of like grudgingly amused.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And this, like, this fake out bit is so great. I feel like if Styles had a pigtail, Derek would have tugged his pigtail.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
3: <laughs> And then in this same scene, you know, when he's like, when he says this no fit, he's like, you know, he's salty, but he's also playing along with Styles' weird little cover story with Danny. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: He understands that this is how we're getting the information we need. And I have to be a part of this begrudgingly. You can't deny the chemistry. Like, I mean, there's chemistry. Between the character, you know, I, I remember way back when, when I fought it, you know, of like, like, oh, stare. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah I didn't anything to do with that. <laughs> but I mean, it's just like, it, honestly, it's just one of those things where it's like, they've got chemistry. They do. And it's like, well, if one had been a girl.
3: Things probably would have gotten different.
1: Very maybe. differently. Styles asked Danny to use his hacking skills to trace the mysterious text Allison received, which she thought had been from Scott in the last episode. Danny is resistant, but he comes around when Styles asks Derek, whom he introduces as his cousin Miguel, to take <laughs> off his shirt. This is a great scene. Teen Wolf can be very scary. And it's very intense, a lot of thrills, but it can also just be very, very funny. And especially because you're seeing, you can see on Styles's face, thanks to Dylan's wonderful acting, the gears turning. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, oh, I learned something. How can I use this to get what I want? Also, Derek, I need you to take your clothes off, please. And Derek's like... <laughs> you know but it's great it's just so good because it shows that they're like a really good team that they both pick up what's happening and and then i just love the way derek just gets out of the chair he's like oh. <laughs> oh, here we go like again
3: his old his old bones
1: just <laughs> like oh. <laughs> yes exactly so yeah it's just a great scene and kiahu plays it fantastically he plays danny so well and it's just these he's like good. little these little looks over to derek at all this and right he's like what do you what do you think danny How's he looking? He's like, I don't think that's his color.
3: It's one of my favorite scenes, probably in the whole show. It's just great because the dynamics between the characters are so interesting and fun. The comedic timing is absolutely on point. And we're kind of seeing different sides of multiple characters. We're seeing Styles be kind of Machiavellian in his (laughs) thinking. We're seeing Derek be kind of Funny, which is unusual for him. And we're seeing a different side of Danny because Danny's like the lovable boy next door that everyone just adores being around. But also he has a juvenile record. Yeah. For hacking. Oh my God. And when it cuts back to Derek in the orange and blue shirt and he's just standing there like seething, which is the only way I can describe how he looks there. Just seething of like, oh, you're gonna pay for this. You're gonna pay for this later. It's just, it's just funny.
1: Yeah,
0: We should have definitely seen Styles wearing that orange and blue shirt later on.
1: I agree 100%.
0: That
3: would have been outstanding.
0: I wonder if there's really a pic of maybe uh, Dylan O'Brien in Styles' room, because I know that, I believe fans caught an actual photo of baby Tyler Posey in Scott's room uh, in one scene. Baby
1: Posey. I can confirm there were pictures of young Tyler Posey on the set of the McCall Home from season three on.
0: What do you think Derek was reading in this scene though? I feel like he might've just picked up a dictionary and started like just reading through it. Yeah, it was- it's really, like a
3: huge- It is, yeah. I, it, it's like an encyclopedia or a textbook or something. Right. <laughs> but he wanted to make sure it was something that he could dramatically snap shut. You know, that would have the required weight to make a nice strong snap when he irritatedly snaps it shut to get up and change his shirt.
1: Why do you think I only buy hardbacks?
3: (laughs) Scott goes to Allison's house, but since Allison has gone for a run, he encounters Chris instead.
1: I really like this scene because I feel like this is a great pulling back the curtain on Chris a little bit. Like I love that he gets out the beer for Scott and he's like, no test. I get it. High school romances are great you know they burn hot but they burn out fast it's so human you know it's just such a human thing that we don't really get from chris you know he usually has an angle which
3: and we'll then he brings <laughs> then he brings it home he, <laughs> well, brings, he it brings it home and it he's home. like hey yeah High school romances, chummy, chummy conversation. What do you know about Derek
1: Hale? Exactly. <laughs> I feel like just, I feel like JR's like reading of these lines before we get to the, tell me about Derek Hale stuff is, it just feels like he's remembering, you know, that right. he's remembering what it was like to be in high school and to be in love and all that. It's it's just a wonderful human moment between characters.
3: Right. It, it is kind of the first time that it feels like we have any sort of glimpse of what Chris is like when the guardrails aren't up. Yeah. And then, of course, he brings it back around to an interrogation about Derek Hale, and they're right back up. But for just a second at the beginning of that conversation, it's like, oh, he's talking to Scott like a person would. Yeah. Well, while on her run, Allison goes to the burned down shell of the Hale house looking for answers. And this is a really good scene. But my first thought was, I thought Allison didn't believe that it was actually Derek. In the school.
0: I don't think she believes that it's him. As she tells Kate the scene, she feels helpless. And I feel like she's just so like shell-shocked and confused about what's going on. She's just going to the Hale House in search of answers. Like, I don't think she believes it's Derek, but I believe she thinks Derek is the way to figure out what's going on.
3: Okay, so so she doesn't believe that Derek is the killer, but she does believe that Derek is involved somehow, which is accurate. I mean, she's right about right. that. Yeah, she's you not know. wrong. Oh, uh, the, the bit when she gets to the Hill House and she sort of crouches down and traces her fingertips along the claw marks in the floor. It's such a quick moment before Kate comes in and Ruins the scene <laughs> very much takes a turn. But... It's gutting, just that one bit. Again, it's Derek's backstory is something that we get in these tiny, tiny little bits and pieces, these like throwaway lines and shots. And this is one of them where you remember that they burned alive. It was not instantaneous, you know? This wasn't just like shot in the head and it's over. I mean, this was like a horrible, gruesome way to go. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. And it's not helped by the fact that when Kate does arrive because she followed her, because she's been following Allison, that she's like caressing burnt beams and she stuff. She is. And it's just it's like
3: sexually harassing a house.
1: <laughs> what's a what's a burnout house like you doing in a place like this? <laughs> Is, Kate says stuff like that and it's always Allison's reactions where she's just like, oh my God, we're practically sisters, so I let you get away with saying all this awful stuff.
3: She's like, did you follow me here? And Kate's like, yeah, well, you can't blame me for being worried about my favorite niece. And then Allison just kind of like lets it go. And I'm like, uh, no, no, no. I, I would like to ask some follow-up questions, please. Why are you stalking me?
1: Yeah, it does feel like there are many times when Kate says something and uh, any character should just be like, follow up. Uh,
3: (laughs) I have several questions.
1: Yeah, but no one seems to do it.
3: This scene is a good example of that, where Allison just moves right along after hearing, yes, I followed you.
0: And you'd be surprised what you're capable of because there's the whole, why would Derek want to kill us? And Kate says, like, basically imagine if someone killed your entire family. And Allison said, wouldn't turn me into a killer. But Kate says, you'd be surprised what you're capable of and you only need a reason or something like that. Right, yeah. and it's like, dude, she's admitting to you that she is a she's killed someone. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, that is that probably is probably many but yeah, that is the precise moment when Allison, instead of saying I will become a psycho killer, she would say follow up question: Are you saying that he believes we killed his entire? Because <laughs> that's what those words are saying, right? You know, right. And, but she doesn't say that. And it's like, and,
3: and this would be the first time that Allison has heard that implication. It's not for the audience, right? Yeah, because right. we heard Derek say that toward the end of Magic Bullet, but Allison hasn't. So yeah. it is kind of interesting that she doesn't interrogate what Kate just said because the implication is very clear. If someone murdered your family, you would be angry at them too. Wait a minute. That suggests that we murdered his family, and you're saying it like it's a true thing. Yeah. Is anyone else?
0: thoroughly creeped out about the way that kate touches allison in yes the scene.
1: Yep. Yep. yeah yeah yeah
0: continuing like what i've said before about she brings that whole like flirty, horrible energy to everyone she encounters even her family
3: and inanimate objects
0: and, and
1: inanimate, inanimate objects. objects it does, does feel house. like her default is seduction it's like because i feel like it's probably the tool she's used the most to get information or anything so i feel like that's just her unconscious default when it comes to every kind of interaction. Cause I think like we've talked about, was it the previous episode maybe that, that Kate doesn't have friends and family. She doesn't have enemies. She just has assets. Everyone orbits her and it's just, what can you offer? And if you are useful, then you stay. If you're not useful, well, you get shot in the face type of thing, or your house burned down with your entire family. Yeah. And I feel, I do believe that that's how it is even with Allison and Chris, you know, that it's just, that's her way you know, mm-hmm. I don't know the correct psychological term for anything like that. Well, like that
3: narcissist.
1: There it is. Sure. It's um,
0: <laughs> just going to go crazy ass bitch.
1: Crazy ass bitch. I feel like that, that touching on Allison's back is just proof of that, that she's yeah. like, I'm not talking to my niece. Yes, I will use that word. And I understand biologically. That's how this works. But it's just like, do you know something? How can I, I need something. How can I get that from well, you I don't or this think or she- that?
0: She doesn't need anything from Allison. I think she's excited at the possibility of turning Allison into a mini version of her. Yes. yes.
3: I think she's trying to groom Allison into being her. Yeah, I use that language intentionally. Um I know. And I think it's fitting. It's just shudder-inducing. It it is, is. yeah. I I think she wants to groom Allison into being sort of her protege. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Back at the Argent house, Scott narrowly dodges Chris's questions and succeeds in sending Styles a photo of Allison's necklace, which matches the symbol Derek showed them perfectly.
3: It, It is interesting, though, that Chris is grilling Scott. And, you know, Scott says, I'm not the only person who knows Derek. And Chris is like, well, you were seen talking to him. And it's like, yeah, I mean, Allison talked to Derek too. He, She was seen talking to Derek. He drove her home from a party. And I know other people saw it because Styles then goes to Scott. It was like, oh, Derek was the one who drove her home. Chris just acts like the fact that he's been seen talking to Derek like once by Allison is enough to be like, it's, Super, super suspicious that Scott has been seen talking to Derek. And it's like, okay, calm down, Chris.
1: Is it possible Chris doesn't know that about Allison?
3: He might not know that Allison has used Derek's werewolf car service. Um, <laughs> it's
1: Wolf, medication. but the U has the umlaut.
3: Yeah. Ooh, good wolf. one. Thank you. Yeah. Uberwolf.
1: Uberwolf. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's even better. I like that more. That's, that's even better. Yes. Uberwolf. But I, I do feel like this is the bad side of the arguments kind of coming out in Chris, where he, where it's the type of thing where he, they become, they become very myopic multiple times mm-hmm. where it's like, we have a new piece of information. All resources go towards this piece of information instead of yep. we have a new piece of information. How does that information work in context with the other information we have? They are, cause there's like, exactly there is the bit where they in, was it the last Episode or the episode before last, where at the end they're like, is Styles the beta? Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, no, he's not.
0: Probably not. I I feel like that doesn't really it it actually goes nowhere. But I feel like this is just dropped. It is, yeah. And I find that be very strange. I feel like Styles, it makes sense to me that they'd want to pursue that more than Jackson. Like, well, you like you said, Jackson could lead them to some information, but because the healing thing, it seems unlikely that he's the second beta. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Styles I feel like make sense, and
3: I don't know why they didn't. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you why. They see him play lacrosse,
0: okay?
1: <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> okay, what? I think they'd be like,
3: he's
0: trying real hard to pretend he doesn't have werewolf capabilities,
1: exactly. And Kate's a like, that's exactly what a werewolf would want you to actually. <laughs> I
0: actually right, don't right. know how they didn't watch Scott play lacrosse one time, be like,
3: okay, he's the baby, right?
0: He just back over that guy, like, come on now.
1: Yeah, Which
3: we know from stalking Derek is something that all werewolves like to do, question mark?
1: Just all the flippies. There's so many (laughs) flippies going on.
3: Having traced the text to Melissa McCall's work account, Derek and Stiles head to the hospital. Stiles talks to Scott on the phone, who's already at the lacrosse field for the big game, but Stiles doesn't tell him about his mom. Stiles also admits he knows he won't make it to the game, which means... He won't get to play after all.
0: But he doesn't admit this to Scott. He tells Scott he'll be there soon. And Derek points out, there's no way you're going to make it. And he says, I know. That's true. And I feel like Derek knows how important this is to Styles. He was standing right behind the door whenever he heard the sheriff talking to Styles about how proud he was that he was going to be starting and that he was going to be there to cheer him on and everything. So I feel like we get just a flicker of like almost respect. From Derek in the scene before he slams Styles' sent into the steering wheel because he knows what Styles is sacrificing, which is something that Scott hasn't been willing to do. Styles is just willing to set aside his personal desire to do what needs to be done. And I feel like, yeah, Derek respects that, even if he doesn't fully like Styles, which I think he secretly does. <laughs> Not just like a scarecrow way, but like, you know, I feel like he secretly kind of. I think Styles is funny and stuff. He just doesn't want to admit it. Yeah. I feel like he does respect him in the scene because Styles knows he's not going to make it, but he's okay with that. He knows right.
3: that. He's not even complaining about it. it. That's He's the not. Thing. He's not
0: like, oh my God, Derek, you drugged me out of here and now I'm going to miss my game.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. In the car game. with Scott now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> is what Derek yeah.
0: Would
1: say.
0: And I feel like that's part of the reason why he goes ahead and slams his head against the steering wheel because he's almost like, no, I don't want to respect this child slam I want
1: to hurt this <laughs> child that respect I would, have trial, I would have put it
0: back in his place that yeah I don't feel like he's more of an equal because he was willing to do this
3: although I do think that uh given what we've seen Scott do when he lost control on styles and what we've seen other characters do I feel like Derek controlled his werewolf strength there he
1: did oh, he didn't yeah. like
3: break styles nose he didn't Right. Bruise him or anything. Yeah. It was like I'm making a point.
1: He dialed his strength down to people strength.
3: And <laughs> right. Was right. Like,
1: I'm not gonna really hurt you.
3: And Styles doesn't even really. He doesn't have like a bloody nose or anything. He's just no. kind of yeah. like, oh man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that
3: was like his response.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. It's great. Oh but yeah.
3: man. But yeah, I do
0: like this moment a lot because I feel like it's the moment where Derek is surprised, but. Also, kind of impressed with Styles, but then he still sends Styles in first. I guess just because Derek's wanted. Yeah, I, mean, Derek I assume wanted. that's why. Yeah,
3: because yeah. I mean, yeah. hospitals have security cameras, security well, guards. I don't well, know
0: about this hospital. Maybe not
3: no. this hospital, but I I feel like Derek <laughs> Derek could be forgiven for thinking that Beacon Hills would behave like a normal town does. Yeah, is this the hospital where Melissa works?
1: That's the thing is that when they show the establishing shot to show, to establish where we are, it's the home.
0: Cause Peter wasn't in the same place that Melissa worked. No,
1: in a previous episode, it's not super well established, but there's a different sign. There's the Beacon Hills Municipal uh, Hospital, and then there's the Beacon Hills Crossing or whatever the place is called. And it's presented as different places. And then in this episode,
3: They're kind of conflated. They're
1: kind of conflated because we see the exterior of where Peter is, but the interior is the actual hospital. Now they could be, like it could be like opposite sides of the building type thing, which I think is probably the most generous way to do it. But they,
4: the
1: the problem is, is they wanted to have, we need the Peter reveal, you know, and we're going to the hospital because that's, the text has led us to Melissa who works at the hospital. And we've kind of established they're not the same place. And it's it's confusing. It is. I confusing. don't feel like
0: they should have done the Melissa text. I, uh, like, yeah, I feel like they yeah. should have come under because it's only like a mystery for like two, two seconds. scenes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and honestly,
1: and, he's got the nurse. Yeah, just get a burner and text. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: I, I feel like they could have definitely done a better job with that, setting up the weight that they needed to get to the hospital. Back at the lacrosse game, Scott explains to Jackson that the situation isn't as simple as he thinks it is. Largely because there are whole families of werewolf hunters. So,
1: Jackson, after his after his doctor's appointment, he inquires it about aconite poisoning that leads to werewolves, and he buys it instantly. Like, there can be no other possible explanation. But then, Scott's like, also there are werewolf hunters, and he's like, bitch, please. <laughs> like, what? That's ludicrous talk. It's like, you just learned about werewolves and bought it instantly. How are you- I mean,
0: he only questions it for like two seconds also. That's very true. I feel like his initial response is, Scott's saying this to get me to not be a werewolf. He's
3: bullshitting me. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And because he has seen, even before he got to werewolf specifically, he'd been collecting evidence, right? He kept the gloves, he kept the claw, he put them together in a- Great dramatic reveal scene. Oh, yeah. He has clearly taken note of the drastic changes in Scott's lacrosse ability. You know, he's been cataloging these pieces of information. And the crowning jewel of his data hunting was the aconite poisoning, which took him to werewolf. Yeah. So he had kind of been slowly building his credulity. It is funny that he is so immediately dismissive of werewolf hunters in a way that he wasn't necessarily with werewolves. But yeah, I I agree with Calissa. I think it's more about like, in his mind, what makes the most sense is that Scott doesn't want him, Jackson, to be a werewolf too, because then... He'll have to compete with Jackson again. Yeah,
4: yeah,
0: yeah. That's entirely. I feel like Jackson's thought like, you know, it's not that Scott doesn't want Jackson to have to go through the same things he's had to go through. It's that oh, he'll be so threatened by me because I'll be even a better werewolf than Scott is because I'm <laughs> so amazing anyway. Yeah. Also, though, in Jackson's defense, he has been close to the alpha twice, and there's never been hunters present.
3: That's true. And on the one occasion that Scott almost attacked Jackson and Allison, it wasn't a werewolf hunter that averted that disaster. It was just Derek.
1: Jackson realizes that Scott, when talking about werewolf hunters, is referring to the Argents, which makes sense since Argent is the French word for silver. Kate, how's my pronunciation? Okay. Argent. So it was terrible. (laughs) It was terrible.
3: Probably there were multiple people who picked up on the fact that Allison's last name means silver and it's a werewolf show. But I really love the idea that you know, when you first realize that linguistic connection, you see the correlation and you assume that you know which way the causality works, right? That like, yeah, her family are werewolf hunters. Silver is damaging to werewolves. Therefore, they named her family Argent. But I love the idea that it's actually the other way around, right? That like circa the events of Maid of Gévaudan, her family became established as the earliest werewolf hunters. And I love the idea that like some Frenchman (laughs) from that area was like trying to tell someone probably who wasn't a native French speaker about what happened and said, Argent kills werewolves. And the person was like running it through whatever the 16th century version of Google Translate is. And it's like, okay, silver kills werewolves and really they meant no with a capital a like the this family this person with the surname argent kills werewolves and yeah. that's actually where the myth of silver being harmful to werewolves came from i love that idea
0: yeah it's a it's great, great play
1: on with mythol- on the mythology
0: people did such a good job with that mm-hmm. i feel like styles had definitely knew that but just assume scott knew And so had never told him. (laughs) Yes. Because I find it hard to believe that Stiles did all that research
3: and didn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. He definitely fell down a Wikipedia hole repeatedly throughout the events of the first season. Like, you know, that had to have happened. On the phone with Derek, who's still in the car, Stiles reports that he can't find Melissa inside the hospital. Derek says to ask for Jennifer instead because she's the one who's been looking after his uncle Peter. Style says that even his uncle is absent. Derek realizes what this means. Peter isn't catatonic at all, and he's the alpha.
1: This is a great moment. I remember reading this in the script the first time and was blown away because when we meet Uncle Peter, burned catatonic Uncle Peter, it didn't feel like a setup. It just felt like, because the context of this scene is, Argents are bad they did this thing here is proof of their treachery mm-hmm. it was not like it just never felt like a setup and you know we came back to peter one other time which we've talked about extensively in a previous episode where i didn't like a portion of that scene but <laughs> but even in that scene it didn't feel like a setup especially with the part of the scene i didn't like and then when this happens when the reveal comes i was just like what i thought it was so cool i
0: would have loved to have seen that because you give great reactions when you're surprised
3: that's true you do yeah
1: I've been told that before by y'all many times.
3: <laughs> I think it's interesting watching Derek's face in the scene during this conversation because he gets there really quickly. I mean, yes. all things considered. And I just wonder if part of him suspected, maybe not necessarily that Peter wasn't actually catatonic, but that based on the information they had, the alpha, assuming that the alpha was the one who killed all those people who were connected to the hail fire it felt like it had to be a hail mm-hmm. right you know yeah. um and in that scene where he goes back to talk to peter he says is it one of us did one of us survive the fire and of course the answer is
4: yes. yeah yeah looking
3: at him so it's just interesting when you can see the gears turning in his head where when styles says that peter is also absent it just clicks into place It's like there was just some sort of block in his head that was keeping him from putting those final pieces together. And now that obstacle has been removed and it just falls into place. Of course, it's Peter. He
0: didn't want to face up to it until he absolutely had to. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, there's another werewolf. And as far as Derek knows, there's only three there's him there's scott and the alpha and he knows about peter who is still a werewolf despite his catatonia but then it's like the moment you get like one piece of proof of something that you don't want to believe it's like well the wall just came crashing down it's like nope that was it i should have i made a horrible mistake i made many horrible mistakes because i'm Derek hale and and then he was like run run (laughs) because (laughs) that's it that's the only thing it could possibly be so but i i have a question though because you can't find melissa where's melissa
3: there's the no hospital. one in the hospital. It's an where empty hospital. Where
1: is everybody?
3: Where's everybody? Lunch break. What is yeah, that happening yeah, that, that's, that's the other thing. You know, when we were talking about like, why would Derek send Styles in there? But it's like, I feel like Derek expects it to be a normal-ish hospital.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> where it's never just abandoned, which is almost what it seems like here. Yeah. I, I don't think that until that moment, Derek had any reason to think that he was sending Styles into any kind of danger it's supposed to be a, oh, a recon yeah. mission yeah you know
1: yeah but still it's just one of the things that i feel like you don't really have time to think about because the turn comes and then instantly we're into a fight we're we're in a we're in a scene break and then we come back and the fight begins very fast and and, Mm -hmm. which is exciting but it's just you're not really given enough time to think about where is literally every single person
3: no money means no extras (laughs) no money means no
1: extras so in
3: any scene where you can avoid having other people you will avoid it that's exactly. what happens when you have a teeny tiny budget.
1: In later seasons, whenever Styles' Jeep arrives outside, a klaxon goes off inside the hospital and they just go to a bomb shelter because they're like, bad things can only happen when Stiles' Jeep shows up. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or maybe they just have like wholly separated floors where it's like the first floor, we actually have hospital stuff. The second floor is abandoned. So you can just have werewolf shenanigans yeah, up there. All you want, were- third floor. Werewolf shenanigans floor. Yeah. Yeah, we have designated werewolf shenanigan floors.
3: Gotta respect it. Yeah, I, I just picture in a later season, like the elevator doors open and fighting spills out and they're like, no, wrong floor, wrong, uh, uh, floor. wrong floor. And they just like fight back into the elevator and then
0: ding, yeah. and the door is- styles nearly becomes yet another casualty of Peter and Jennifer, but Derek comes in and fights Peter, allowing Stiles to get away. Styles so just like drops immediately inserts army crawling out of there. I love that. Great.
3: <laughs> I love that bit when, when Derek says, get out of the way. Well, first of all, I really like how Derek says it, where it feels very natural, where it, it's not like, Styles get out of the way. It's not a dramatic moment, actually. It's, it's like, not. he's like, oh, th- this, this is a crazy bitch who's helping you ki- kill people. Styles get out of the way. And Styles' response is just, drop like it's the first stage of stop drop and roll he just like (laughs) hits the floor
1: two things about this i love peter's like oh and jennifer and turn around jennifer and all of a sudden just elbow right to the face and she's she like barely says anything and she's just already out for the count you know and it's like okay that's fine I like that that's really funny but then you're right he's like get out of the way and he just shrinks down out of frame and you're like like, okay he's he's out of the way but then the can't then the next shot is wider he's just there on the (laughs) ground like he has not actually moved himself anywhere and I, I love the army crawl and everything but his it's just like everything styles does is flailing He flails.
0: (laughs) I relate hard to
3: that. He definitely seems like one of those kids that grew like four inches overnight and just like doesn't know how to move his limbs anymore.
1: Exactly. But yeah, there's a lot of flailing going on in this scene. And it's great.
3: And if you look, Jennifer does have a bloody nose and she's knocked out. So again, Derek knows how to pull it back and- not hold back as the situation calls for. Yeah. Just to underscore, I don't think he actually had any intention of like hurting Styles. I mean, he wanted to make his point. He definitely didn't like give him a bloody nose or there actually isn't even a bruise on him or anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so Peter claims that he didn't mean to kill Lara, but that his mind and personality had been burned out of him during the fire, leaving only instinct in their place. But becoming the alpha had pushed his healing past the plateau and allowed him to fully recover. I call bullshit.
3: It's total bullshit. No, nope. he's such a liar.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. Nope.
3: Also, the fan theory is that Derek crawls through the glass in the scene to give Styles time to get away.
1: Yes. That's a theory,
0: and I feel like it makes sense because we never actually see. His legs get injured, but still he's crawling. And I feel like it's to give Styles, yeah, time.
3: That that's the thing about hardcore shippers. They will they will plug the holes in any piece of writing as long as they can find a way to interpret it in a way that supports the ship. Ships uh find a way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yes. Then it's like, wait, why is he crawling? His legs are injured. I know, I know. It was to give Styles time to get away. I didn't come up with that one. I can't take credit, but it, it was a bit of a thing amongst Steric shippers. That was the explanation for this scene. I would also like to give a little shout out to the tuft of hair at the back of Derek's head. <laughs> it's beautiful. The little, the little like duck tail feather tuft of hair.
1: While all this is happening, Sheriff Stolinsky interrogates Harris. Six years ago, before he'd gotten sober... Harrison met a woman in a bar, and she had engaged him in conversation about his favorite topic, chemistry. She asked him about things like how to melt a lock on a bank vault, how to dissolve a body and get away with murder, and even how to start a chemical fire and get away with arson. A week later, the Hale House burned down. Though he didn't get the woman's name, he gives Stolinsky the same clue he gave Laura Hale when she'd come to him. The woman was wearing an unusual necklace, hence the symbol Derek found.
0: I love the way this scene is filmed, both, uh, you know, it's a callback to when Harris was speaking to the alpha. He has his back to both the alpha and the sheriff. And I feel like it's a great way to show that he's kind of a coward and he's unable to face up to what he did.
3: Literally, he will not face the consequences.
0: (laughs) He will not look at either of them in the eye. He has to just face a way to even talk about it.
3: Yeah, it's it's a great visual parallel. So Harris gives Sheriff Stolinsky drawing of the pendant and says, when you find the woman with this necklace, you'll have found your arsonist. And Sheriff Stolinsky does not approve of his choice of words. He says, murderer. Arson happens to property. This girl's a murderer. And it is a good ass delivery of that line. It is yes, it so is. badass.
1: Quite good. That Lyndon Ashby, he knows how to act good.
3: He knows how to act good.
1: He does. He's yeah. very good at that.
3: And it is, as we were talking about earlier, that the sheriff is really the only character besides Styles to express anything approaching sympathy yeah. <laughs> like, for what happened to the Hales, which is strange because yeah, a little it's it yeah. the deaths of somewhere in the vicinity of 10 people, some of whom were children. Mm-hmm. And everyone is very nonchalant about this mass murder, yeah. except for the Stalinskys and then the Hales themselves. Back at the hospital, Peter spins a mirror and finally finishes healing instead of apparently waiting for dramatic flair.
0: How is this not dramatic flair? <laughs>
3: I know. It's, this is like the dictionary definition of dramatic flair. He says the thing about, you know, when you look this good, why wait? He spins a mirror, which is a fantastic shot. This is such a another great example of Teen Wolf using kind of an unusual filming style to make an on-screen visual effects transition look yeah. more natural, yeah. right? So instead of having to see CGI healing in real time, he spins the mirror and so... We're seeing these like snapshots of his face partially burned until it isn't anymore. Yeah. It, it's such a great way to present that visually so that you don't see the the seams in terms of the effect. It looks great.
0: I feel like maybe he was just meant that he was gonna wait to do it in front of Kate because Kate thought he was half burnt
3: up and dead. Oh yeah. That could be what he meant by waiting for dramatic flair.
1: Do y'all think Kate went and saw Peter?
3: Yes. I do. Yeah.
0: I
1: wish we could have seen that scene.
0: I know. But yeah, I feel like like the house, she would want to see her handiwork up close and personal. Yeah. I feel like she'd go there and be like, Oh, I'm his distant cousin and I just want to spend some time with him. Please leave us alone.
1: Or join us.
3: <laughs> Depending on your uh inclinations. That's a very dark speculation, but really Kate 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 is evil. I mean she's evil. She's evil. I
0: feel like the way he's dressed is a bit much. It's very Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
3: Yeah, it is. He definitely, at this point, dresses like Spike in particular, but I'd say to some degree, just the vampires on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They had a look, a lot of them. And it was was like
0: Dusters, leather dusters. Yeah, yeah,
3: it was like (laughs) 90s grunge meets 90s cyberpunk.
0: I'm glad that he switched to his Phoenix.
3: His very deep and phoenix, His
0: trendy look.
1: My fan is that he wore those clothes begrudgingly because Jennifer went out and got those clothes and she was like, I think you'll look nice in these. He was like, oh, God. But that's all he had to put on for that time. So then after that, he made a run to Target. That's why he, he was would, going to make oh, a run. Oh, come
0: on. Target? Beacon Hill shops at Target? Okay, I'm no. just saying
1: Beacon Hills doesn't have, you know, Banana Republic. So, I mean, we know their mall is, is abandoned. At the lacrosse game, Jackson gives Scott 72 hours to get him the bite.
0: And I love that, how he clarifies that three days are 72 hours. Because he starts by being like, I'll give you three days. And then he looks at Scott and he's like, that's 72
3: hours.
1: (laughs) Just so you know. I know we talk about how stupid Scott is sometimes. But I just wish he'd been like, (laughs) I wish Jackson had been like, you know what, Scott? I'm feeling generous. I'm going to give you 72 hours to get me what I want. And Scott goes, a week? (laughs) (laughs) Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. poor scott poor scott poor no scott's God. the best we all love scott he's he's the best we we love him he's just an adorable puppy dog especially he's in this first pup. season
0: it's a problem that a lot of shows run into as they try to make a character funnier what happens sometimes is that they make them dumber see britta perry on community
3: mm-hmm. yeah. actually mm-hmm. i i would Both say characters on community in the stands Kate makes inappropriate comments about Jackson while also questioning whether Jackson could be the second beta turned by the deep scratches in the back of his neck.
1: This is a great scene. It's a lot of stuff going on here. It's got some layers to it. I think the most important layer being Allison just doesn't hear crazy and weird and the stuff that are red flags and the look on her face is just the definition of cognitive dissonance when Kate is speaking sometimes. Yes. And it's, it's really upsetting. It's the,
3: the face of cognitive dissonance.
1: It's, yeah. it's upsetting.
3: Because Kate is the sort of criminal who just tucks casual confessions into otherwise innocuous conversations. Yeah. You right. Know? And she says the thing about, oh, if I were just a teenager again, or maybe even just a substitute teacher. And of course, in the book, in On Fire, Kate was a substitute lifeguard at the Beacon Hills High School pool. Yeah. And that's how she insinuated herself into Derek's life. And she's just casually tucked this into a conversation with her niece, with her brother sitting right next to her, just saying yeah. like, I, I would Chris love, that. yeah, I would love to have a sexual relationship with an underage boy. And all I would need was to be a substitute teacher or something, you know, get I yeah. need access. Get me access. Yeah, Get me the opportunity. That's what I would do. I feel like she's just
0: one, like she just walks around waving a giant red flag.
3: Yeah. She has no compunctions about that. Everything she says is a criminal confession. (laughs) Like, you know, like at the end of Magic Bullet saying like, oh, I always play by the rules. Wink. Wink, wink. And then like starting a a large fire (laughs) immediately after saying those words. Or earlier in this episode at the Hale House saying, Why would Derek want to kill us? Well, I mean, wouldn't you wanna kill people if they murdered your family? I mean, she just she just tucks these things into conversations. She has no issues with it whatsoever. She's like, Yeah, I'll just I'll just tell you to your face I murdered a yeah. bunch of people or I would sexually assault a teenage boy if given the smallest pretext to be in his immediate vicinity, like yeah. it's insane. And, and you're right; you see this on Allison's face, this expression that's like trying to process what she just said in a way that doesn't destabilize her entire worldview.
4: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and what she says actually is, "You are sick," yeah, and right. she says it in a little bit of a joking tone, but yeah. of mm-hmm. course, it's n- it's also just not a joke.
1: Yeah, it's not a <laughs> it's not a joke. She. Yeah.
3: She is actually sick. And I think on some level, Allison knows that she's sick. Yeah. yeah. Because she also saw how, how Kate interacted with Scott in Magic Bullet when Scott was unwillingly pulled into a, a family dinner. And th- there's a moment in Magic Bullet, too, where Kate says something to Scott, maybe about his brown eyes or whatever. And, and there's an expression on Allison's face that's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then she just kind of lets it go because that's what she does. But, you know, it's not just Allison. I I don't want to put all the responsibility on a 17 year old girl. And when Chris is standing
0: right there.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Right. And
3: and for all this stuff that we're talking about, including when she says the thing about I always play by the rules. I mean, Allison's not even present for that conversation. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't have the full context of it. But but there is a degree of willful ignorance there to some degree with Allison, but even more so with Chris. And sort of going off of what I was saying earlier about Derek putting it together really quickly that, okay, Peter has to be the alpha. And I think that might be a sign that part of him suspected that that could be the case.
1: So another layer to this scene is Kate asking Chris whether or not a person can be turned into a werewolf by scratches and not just a bite. And Chris says if the claws were to go deep enough, because they're looking at Jackson and Jackson's got these gnarly scabs on the back of his neck. And so now they believe that maybe Jackson is the other beta that they saw running around in 104. But this doesn't make any sense based on everything we know about werewolves so far in that they heal very quickly, even if they've recently been bitten, 12 hours later, that bite's gone you know, as their bodies adjusting to being a werewolf and all these new senses and healing abilities and all that. And already in the season, we've established that the Argents have been doing this a long time, like 300 plus years. And I just don't feel like any of them would be asking this question at all. Because again, they've been doing this for 300 years. So I just think this is, we needed, you know, I think the story needed the characters to latch on to Jackson, but they had to not be smart to latch on to Jackson, which is unfortunate. There's another way they probably could have gone with this scene.
0: We've never actually seen them have a werewolf that they've studied. Chris hunts them and will kill them if necessary. Kate tortures them for fun and kills them for fun. But we've never seen them do like any actual like, we're going to take a werewolf and see how long it takes for them to heal. We're going to take someone who's newly bitten and see like how long it takes for them to shift. And so I'm just wondering if maybe they don't have like a full idea of, okay, what happens if someone starts to like reject the bite, which we know happens, can happen. Someone Mm -hmm. can reject the bite. Is it possible they could reject the bite without dying? So like he wouldn't be healing. It doesn't make sense still for him to be like the beta, but I can see them not fully knowing the details of what happens with like a scratch or like all the ways that someone could be turned into
1: a werewolf.
3: I could see that if it was just them, but like Will said, they've been doing this for 300 years. so
1: And they're not the only hunters. I mean, I mean, we don't talk about other hunters, other families. I do believe that someone in the world of the Hunters has gotten someone bitten and then put them in a cage and was like, we're going to watch this and see what happens. Because I mean, like, I feel like if it's like we have an enemy that we believe will wipe us out, we're going to learn everything possible about them. You know, it's just, I mean, that makes... I feel like then if, if that was true, if the hunters, you know, hadn't done all that type of stuff in 300 years, I'd be like, how are y'all just not dead? Because you don't know anything I, at all. I,
3: I will say this. I, I'm going to get really deep into my Argent headcanon here, but I believe that Chris might not know. And here's, here's why. I don't believe that Kate might not know, but I'll get to that. I think that there probably have been hunters that have captured werewolves and have studied every little bit of their anatomy, how long it takes them to heal what they can heal from and what they can't heal from all this stuff i feel like there absolutely have been hunters in the last 3 centuries who have done things like that because they believed that was the best way to fight this enemy even though it was entirely unethical i just that's what human beings are like yeah yeah and i just feel like that has happened as far as chris is concerned i kind of imagine that like you know we've talked a little bit before about when kate and chris were young mm-hmm. and gerard was teaching them about the family business and how each of them reacted that Chris was drawn very strongly to this moral code. Kate was not that thing. I kind of imagined that was going to introduce them into the darker side of hunting later, but came to realize that Chris couldn't stomach it. And so he just made a decision not to share any of this data with Chris because Chris would reject it. But then with Kate, he's like, here want to see the files of that time a couple generations ago when we captured some werewolves and just studied them for mm-hmm. six months mm-hmm. that's what i believe what
0: i believe is actually that generations back yeah they had details they knew how they had studied werewolves they knew a lot of more, more about them but as the argent family went on we got more people like kate or people like Gerard, where it was like, we say we live by code, but our code is really, we find them, we kill them.
3: We cut I them think, in half.
0: Right. So I think they really just need to know, for them, they need to know the basics. This is how you make sure a werewolf doesn't come back to life. This is how you kill them.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, I would argue that the,
0: vulnerabilities
3: are. Whether you could be turned from a scratch is basic. I would argue that's basic knowledge because they they need to know what can turn you because if even if their only goal is to kill all werewolves they need to know that so they can know faster whether someone's a werewolf or not you know cuz like if uh, if they knew definitively that you could get turned from a scratch then they'd more easily be able to be like this person is probably a werewolf or this person is probably not a werewolf mm-hmm. you know i just I agree with you, Will. When I watched this scene, it kind of took me out of it a little bit because I was like, you guys haven't amassed that much information for having been immersed in it for literally generations and generations and generations. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. 300 years is a long time to be engaged in this kind of stuff and not know something as basic as, does it have to be a bite?
4: Yeah. Mm
3: -hmm. That's, That's a pretty basic question. And then also of like, would it have healed or would it have time to scab over. I just feel like that kind of stuff should be pretty basic. I Like I said, I buy that they don't know about things like Wolf Moon, their traditions, you know, their belief systems, their social structures. But I just, I have a hard time believing that in hundreds of years of doing this, they're not sure whether a werewolf could scratch someone and turn them into a werewolf.
0: I feel like a lot of supernatural shows fall into this problem, though, that they have to explain things to the audience that characters should know and they kind of write themselves into a
1: corner you need a a, you need someone who doesn't have knowledge and i and i get your where it's like well we've always got to have this extra person in a scene but at the same time i'm like i feel like even like a scene between kate and argent where it's like just don't ask questions make statements right Mm -hmm. you know that you don't have to ask can you do this thing she's like do you remember that story about the guy who got turned from a scratch he's like yeah that was really weird he goes what does that look like to you you know it, it where you're making statements and, mm-hmm. and and instead of making questions i feel like that's the easiest way to get around that stuff is you have characters showing they have knowledge granted they're doing it it will have to be in a way that normal human beings wouldn't do it because <laughs> normal human beings don't say things that are obvious between remember the thing people? that we've
0: Like both know super well. How long? (laughs) Let's
1: talk about that. It's like it's like Kate. We've been friends for seven years, you know. It's like no, we we know this information, whatever. But (laughs) I feel like making characters making statements is better than characters asking questions that they Uh, should already have answers to. Yeah, just you gotta just think about the scene a little bit longer. And I and I get it, you know, TV schedule like TV crunch, and I I got it. But it's just like I would rather work until three a.m. on a scene than be like we just have to go. But these characters are gonna not be as well informed informed. like we're diminishing character Mm -hmm. to have this to get this information across we have to diminish character and it's like I should never ever do that because then you've diminished the character and why am I going to care you know as much as I do now
3: but clearly we still do care because we're talking about it very much so
1: (laughs) We, we care about the show very much remember loving something unconditionally doesn't mean you love it better it means you love it sadder I think that's completely true so just because we say we don't like something in teen wolf doesn't mean we don't love it with all of our wolfy hearts
3: Wolfy hearts
1: all right wolfies it's time for our interview with actor adam fristo who played adrian harris on teen wolf let's have a all listen right. yeah. the, the people want to talk about teen wolf let's talk about teen okay, wolf, teen wolf. Yes, yes yes all right let's jump in so adam how did you come to be on teen wolf yeah
2: well you know so as, as you all know it started out by shooting in atlanta and i've been a fixture in atlanta for a very long time in fact that was at a point in my career where I was like, OK, I've got to I've got to leave. I've, I've got to go to L.A. or New York. And I didn't really want to uh, for, for a variety of reasons. And uh, I got called in to play Deaton. Right. So I got I got an audition and an interview to play Deaton and uh, and a callback for it and went in to meet with Russell and uh, Jeff Davis for, for the role and, 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 and read for that. And, and obviously they liked me, but y- you know, you got to go with Seth Gilliam. You just have to, cause he's amazing. And, and then, so they, then they offer me, you know, they offer me this role and I, I don't know, I wasn't in the writer's room, but I don't think it was intended to be anything more than like just a one liner, you know, like a one, a one episode, like little perfunctory teacher thing, you know, but I remember being in, <laughs> I remember being in that audition and seeing <laughs> Jeff and Russell look at each other and they were like, What is up with this dude? Like, there's something, (laughs) there's something going on inside of him, and we do not understand it. That's perfect for this show. (laughs) 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 And so, you know, and so then I came in, and you know, I'm the kind of actor that I like to say yes to. I don't, I don't, I don't get all bent out of shape about the size of roles. You know, I think specifically in episodic television, you can come in for something that's very tiny. And if you do something interesting with it, all of you wonderful writers go, thank you. Thank you. Now I've got, you know, I have the next thing to write or I have the new idea or whatever. And and so I think that's how that came about.
0: Was there any character or actor that you wished you had had more scenes with on the show?
2: I would work with Dylan O'Brien any day of the week, nonstop. What a gem. You know what I mean? What, a, what an absolute gem. And, you know, one of my greatest pleasures about being on that show is actually being hanging out with him off camera because obviously I'm really interested in the craft right so I'm I'm and I've always teaching has always been a part of my kind of portfolio career and it's I I love being in the studio I love thinking about how we get better at what we do and how stuff's made you know and you know and here's Dylan with who like had never done anything before right and you're like how in the world are you so skilled like not just like good. And it's not just talent. He's got, he had skill, right? He knew how to, he knew how to play for, to, to the edits. He needed to do everything that like you would learn after doing for 20 years. Right. And so I just had a really great time to kind of talk and shop with him and trying to figure out where, where that had come from. I would love to work with Seth. I, I you know, it, it didn't really make sense for our characters, particularly at that point in time, I actually was, I had wished that I had had scenes with Seth on walking dead. We were in same season together. Um, you know, actually funny thing about, that is, I actually auditioned for the role that he was casting in that. Which I don't necessarily think of myself in the same category as Seth. Although I don't know, there's some, there's some similar, there's some similar stuff. This would be my, my, my go-to's. Again, it doesn't make sense at all at all, but I would have loved to work with Gerard, yeah. I mean, again, it wouldn't have made any sense for our, our roles unless, like, somehow we were affiliated in some sort of badness, which would have been cool. Uh, but, you know, he's just, he's, just an, he's an actor that I admire, you know, and have, have always admired.
3: So the first season of Teen Wolf has done a great job of introducing sort of the archetypical characters only to break them down and reveal who they really are. So until this episode, we've really only seen Mr. Harris as the arrogant teacher who's messing with Scott and Styles a lot. But this episode shows us that beneath that, there's someone who is terrified. So what was it like being able to peel back those layers of the character? Especially since, like you said, you know, you you think that probably originally it was just going to be like a one-off thing and, you know, there ended up being more more to it there
2: you know performing in episodic television is is its own kind of unique thing because typically you don't know what's going to happen but from the very beginning as the actor you have to play like especially if you're in supporting roles you don't give us the scripts we don't get them i don't get to read them i don't get to read them in advance sometimes sometimes we don't even get the scripts at all we're just given the sides for our scene i mean which is crazy right but 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 that's the reality right so you've got to play stuff with open in a way, right? So that anything could happen in future and that you could retroactively have the audience go, oh yeah, that makes sense. Right. Even though I didn't know. Right? I don't know. I don't know that I have anything to do with the hail fire. Nobody told me that. I don't know anything about that.
0: <laughs> that was actually one of our questions. So it's not to do
4: that.
2: <laughs> I, I knew it when I read the scene. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. Now, would it have changed anything in my performance? Probably not. So then in that in in that, in that sense, it doesn't really matter, right? But but what it means is that as an actor, I've got to create a story because nobody's telling me the story. I know in the writer's room, you've probably beat, beaten it all out and you know what I mean? You know what's going on. I'm sure that everybody in the production, this happens all the time, right? By the way, in, in film and TV production, right? The production team forgets that the actors don't know anything, right? <laughs> you all live and you work on it in such detail for such long periods of time. You know everything. And so you kind of, I think you kind of Assume that we do too. We don't. Nobody tells us don't tell us anything. Nothing. When I was on The Walking Dead, I didn't never read a script. I just got my scenes, and you get to set and they're like, "Well, are you in this group or in this group?" I was like, "I don't know." (laughs) And and you know, somebody in you know hair and makeup will tell me. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, great, now I can do my job. Awesome. So, you know, it kind of play things like, and especially in a show like Teen Wolf, where obviously there's a lot of mystery, right? The tension is built around, who is it? What is it? Everybody's got a secret, kind of. And for me as an actor, ha- being the guy with the secret is kind of a, a brand, right? I'm, I, I like to say, like, I'm the guy that'll tell you everything except that one thing. Or I'm the guy who, you know, tread lightly because might be the world's greatest philanthropist, might be a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and and that's the kind of the way that I that I play things. My other one is is like I'm the smartest guy in the room, or I'm the person who thinks is the smartest guy in the the room, (laughs) or I'm the guy who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, right? But there's this big array in those qualities, and so what you what you're going to do then is I'm going to bring some of those qualities forward right and in Teen Wolf what they were really interested in and it was clear from my interview is that part of me that I can bring out which is that there's a secret and you don't have to know what it is and I don't have to know what it is I can just let it be there and then the camera can decide right so to me like in in terms of the archetypal characters that then get revealed to be additional things I mean that to me that just seems natural right that's that's what it uh, what it has to be if it were just like this one idea, I think it would be, it would be rather dull. You reveal that behind this arrogant person is someone who's really afraid. And I I suppose that that's true. I mean, of course, I didn't know that in advance. So that's not what I was playing, right? What I was playing is that I know there's some (laughs) serious. I I, I know that there's some scary shit out there, right? And I know that these kids. Who are in my room are in danger, and so I'm being an ass, but I'm not being an ass to pick on someone. I'm being an ass to protect them. So I cast myself as a hero, not as a jerk, in my own mind, right? And so then when it then when it turns out that like, what it is that I have witnessed and what it is that I know, that just reinforces this idea I had already made is that like it seems that some of the people in the town are oblivious to the fact that there are all these murders and craziness, which is really <laughs> wild to me, but they just do not know. I don't know why but clearly i know something right mm-hmm. so it's then it's just revealing what it is and that's something that you guys tell me what it is <laughs> <laughs> so it's easy to reveal because i'm like oh
1: like oh that's what i was
2: doing oh that's it, that's that's it. That's <laughs> it. thank you that's definitely
3: what i was doing the whole time
0: <laughs> now that i know that you had got a lot of the scripts in advance who did you personally think the alpha was before it got <laughs> revealed?
2: This is this is like again actors being really arrogant. I was like, it's gonna be me.
0: That would have been fun. That, that would have
2: been fun. I'm like, it's totally gonna be me. I know it's gonna be me. I'm a little bit nuts. But but I, but I, again, I also think that like, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I think we we think it's um. Well, we don't know we don't know Ian then, do we?
0: Well, yeah, like, yeah, in. At the one scene yeah he's
2: like, only he's like, in one scene in
0: the hospital
2: yeah, yeah. I had the idea that i felt thought it was him but no i you know you know it, it, it with my role it felt like it was being used to be a red herring and i guess i knew that but i guess that's also why when we when it started going i was like oh i'm just gonna i'm gonna lean into that actually i'm totally gonna lean into that and go fucking what if it's me
1: it could and be that, it could be.
2: Wouldn't it that be fun be. to? Wouldn't that be fun to find out? You yeah. know, mm-hmm. and it was kept under wraps. And you know what I mean. I, I knew that. I knew that for. I'm thinking about my own career, right? I'm not thinking about everybody else. I'm thinking about what I'm going to get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and so I go. Oh shit. Oh wow. Okay. Cool. This is going to be really fun. Like I'm really looking forward to that. That's weird, but that is that is actually what I thought while we were shooting. I was like, that's going to be. Weird.
1: You can totally see that. Yeah. though, Just because I think Harris has given a fair amount of time
4: yeah. with Scott, yeah.
1: the main character. And it's like the, the relationship is antagonistic. So if if that was the reveal, you could be like, obviously, because, yeah. it, you know, but uh, yeah. Well, and,
2: and, and there's a lot of fan chatter about it. I mean, fans are talking about it, tons, about like, that's gotta be what that is, that horrible, horrible man.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it
3: be any more obvious. we were we were talking about in heart monitor that harris gives scott and styles detention and it's just the two of them even though there are like some other kids involved who beat up scott right I, i'm not sure who, who those people were but um but i was kind of thinking like it's it's weird that he gives them detention but then i was like you know if he wanted to know their secrets and like what they were whispering about that would be the way to do it because they're not quiet
4: right and when they're just in
3: a room like just the two of them and then harris they're like they're not quiet and i was like if he wanted to know everything they were talking about giving them detention is all he had to do Yeah, to get that information. I mean, and
2: and of course, thinking about it from inside the character again, not knowing where it was going. You know, I also thought, well, maybe he's like protecting them, right? Maybe he's keeping them away from something that's that's gonna happen, or you know what I mean, or can watch over
1: or whatever. The scene where we meet Harris with Scott and Styles, it seems like he's got it out for them a little bit, and I really like what you just said that maybe he's protecting them in a way. And so my the question was like, why do you think? Harris had it out for Scott and Styles, which I would still like to, to hear your answer. I like what you just said. That it's like maybe there was a protection angle to it because that seems interesting. That seems, because it's again, it'd be like, Kind of reversing what you'd expect from like the hard ass teacher.
2: Well, it's like Severus Snape, right? We yes. actually yes. we made a comparison
4: <laughs> actually,
3: actually about made about that episode. comparison when we were talking about the episode. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's, I mean, it's it's like that, and of course, like throughout that whole evolution of that series, like sometimes he is bad and sometimes he is good, and it just kind of depends. And I, I like I liked to think of this character in that way. You know, could go either way, and could go go either, and could be both things at the same time. Right. 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 In that in that kind of complex way. So uh, the, my my take on it originally was that they were important and they were important to the survival and they're dumb asses <laughs> you are and clear,
1: so sir. and so in
2: order to protect them or in order to if i get the opportunity to take them under my wing or to move them into i don't know adulthood or into their the, into their powers or whatever um then that's what it would require it would require to, stopping their dumbassery. <laughs> and of course, you know, as a high school teacher, all of the kids are dumbasses, but them in particular and they matter more because there's power there. Right. That they don't even know about, right? right? Yeah. They may know I mean they may know about the fun part, but they don't know about. They don't know about the horror.
4: Right.
3: That's sort of what teachers do in general writ large, which is yeah. sometimes have to use tough love because teenagers are stupid and they will f- up their own lives when that's left right. to their own devices.
2: That's right. That's right. That's right. And that's what parents have to do too sometimes. And it's weird. It's a real weird relationship, but yeah.
0: I love Harris's dynamic with Scott and Styles. Do you have a favorite scene with either of those characters? And also I was wondering about the scene where uh, Stiles spits out the highlighter cap after you've just mocked his highlighting of the textbook. Did that yeah. take a lot of takes? Because I just imagined it like going everywhere until he finally caught mm-hmm. it. <laughs>
2: yeah you know it didn't in my memory it did not take a lot of takes my my recollection of that shot I can actually feel it and see it right now. you know there was a there was a single long take right with a dolly shot where I start in the back of the room go to Jackson and then stop on a dime and don't ever turn around and comment on the highlighting right and then the spit yeah. take that Dylan does, I think he's done a close up. I don't know if, I know he did it. He did it in that, in that, the full shot too, that long shot. I'm pretty sure he's an amazing clown. <laughs> I don't know if he practiced it over and over again because he had planned it, because he had the ability to do that. I don't think it would. Was- spontaneous but my recollection is that 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 he just did it and then did it again and then did it again and it was just fine like the way that i don't know buster keaton could you know i, I mean one of the one of the, the scenes that i really enjoyed i wasn't in but i enjoyed being on set for was like i don't know what episode it's in um but they're like in a car and Dylan is eating like a bag of cheetos or he eats a bag of chips i don't know you remember what that is it maybe he's in a season 2 is that i don't a know the fry scene uh, the, there's, there's,
1: like the, eating there's
3: fries a fry scene i remember the uh is it in the um, tell
2: in i don't right know at the
3: beginning of
2: the tell i don't know I, i'm not going to remember that you're you, again you're going to know
0: he has a lot of, like of like
1: that. eating
3: eating scenes in the first season
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah. that first season he, he does yeah.
3: some food related comedy repeatedly. oh all the time
1: well this <laughs> yeah.
2: is the one that i witnessed and i saw i, I don't actually recall it from the actual finished finished product um you know what i mean but i remember being there going you're you're really going to eat this whole thing in this one take you're going to have to do that a lot of times that's really going to hurt I
3: That's feel really like I feel like it's yeah. got to be that one. Yeah, okay. he All is right. like just stuffing his mouth with curly fries.
2: And again, so funny, so funny. But wow, that'll that'll tear you up.
1: <laughs> it's a lot of food. It's a lot of food. So.
2: Um, I would not do that today because then I would grow. I would immediately not fit in my costume anymore.
1: So the teaser for this episode is yeah. my all-time favorite of the first season. I love the scene where you are packing up your stuff for the day and you find the list and then the alpha is there behind yeah. you. And we hear him speak for the first time and it's so good. And the scene is just all this great tension is played in so many, just close-ups on your oh, yeah. face where the alpha is turn around and look at me. And you're like, I can't, I, I can't. And it's so, and he throws the desk next to you and all this, it's so good. And it, it's so quiet for most of it. And yeah, I just love that scene. Is there? Do you remember? Do you have any good memories of of shooting that scene? Because it it for me at least is just an evocative, iconic Teen Wolf teaser.
2: Uh, it was such an honor to get to do that. You know, to get to to be trusted with that scene because because it's big, right? It's really it's really pivotal. Yeah. So there, I, I remember several things about it. This was shooting in Atlanta, and Atlanta, like you know, many big cities that are not in the winter, winterized places, we go, okay, if it snows, we're just going to shut down because we're not equipped to deal with it. And this happened and production got stopped the day before. So we had stopped production early in the morning the day before, because nobody was going to be able to get home. And then of course you got to scramble to get your days back. Right. So the very next day things were different, right? There was a different schedule and I was already booked on another job that day right? Because I'm a supporting cast. So I'm not like in it all the time. I'm, it's, you know, you, you have to, you get booked in advance. And so I actually worked on another job that morning, which means they had already been in shooting. You know what I mean? And I was like, I know when I can get there. I, I have a heart out mm-hmm. for this job as a voiceover thing, but it's, I'm not going to be able to be there at the top of day. And I'm not going to, you know what I mean? And they're like, Oh, this is really hard. Right. So I remember arriving on set and getting basically pulled out of my car and rushed into <laughs> rehearsal and then directly into hair and makeup. They were pretty much set. They were pretty yeah. much ready, ready for me. So like I got no prep. That's one of the things I really remember about it. And then I remember also at the end of it, cause I've focused pretty hard when I'm, when I'm working, particularly on a scene like that. And sometimes that means sort of being in a kind of flow where I don't actually, I'm in the scene. I'm not necessarily paying attention to production where I remember the director going, I can't believe you just did that. Like having just come directly out of your car. You know what I mean, and 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 gave that performance. Now, of course, that that sh- that scene took a pretty long time because he did a wonderful job with all of the different camera angles, right? There's extreme close-ups, but also that really high. It almost feels like a security camera angle. That's the beginning where it starts, where you always you just automatically know that something's not right. I, I certainly remember walking in and going, "Oh, I guess we're going to be working with a physical monster today," because there was a stunt performer and like all the goop, you know. It was like Because yeah. you don't ever know. You don't ever know if the monster's right. really there or not, you know, you're probably going to hear the voice of like script supervisor or the first AD who's reading the lines, which, which is what it was. And they do not sound like the monster. So there's, (laughs) and then, you know, the other thing, well, there are two other things that I I particularly remember about that. I went to the art department and I said, Hey, by the way, I can't draw. And they're like, Oh, sure you can. You can just, I was like, no, no, no. You really don't understand. I've tried a lot and I can't, (laughs) I just, I cannot read my own handwriting. I can hardly draw stick figures. And he, in this, I don't remember who, who it was, but he's like, oh, come on, just like do this. And I did it. And he's like, oh, no, 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 you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> oh, no. So they had to make this stack of the things with just like a little bitty piece for me to like fill in. That if you notice, I like basically cover the things so that you, you don't see how bad I screw up the drawing. <laughs> That was actually drawn for me. It's embarrassing, but it's the truth. That's the real thing. And then the other thing, you know, because because the production had been moved and because I wasn't necessarily prepared to go in and all that kind of stuff, I remember when they pushed in to to here, right? And then all of a sudden, um, hair and makeup's over there plucking my nose hairs out. (laughs) Why didn't you manscape for this? I was like, nobody told me you're going to stick the camera up my
1: nose, you know?
3: Why didn't you manscape? I, I was
1: on. doing voiceover today, damn
2: it. This is not what I was supposed to be doing. No, I mean, I, but I don't, you know, nobody's very rarely stick your camera in your nose. And then I guess the other component of that, because they got in so tight was, right, so the eyeglasses that I wore in the show were mine, right? They're, I wear prescription eyeglasses. And, and I remember when I came to set the first day, they were like, oh, can we use those in the show? I'm like, you can't they are, what do you call it? You know, when they change the change into sunglasses, I was like, so it's going to be a problem oh, yeah. outside and, oh. uh, and you know, their prescription. So what i was like, no, 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 they're great. They're great. Like, okay. Yeah. You're called. Right. And so when they, when they pushed in the camera operator was like, they're both different prescriptions, aren't they? And I said, yeah. He goes, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to focus on both of your eyes? It's almost impossible because they're different powers, you know, but they did magic and it worked or it didn't, and part of the reason why it's amazing is because my eyes are out of focus, or I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's 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 one of those just many amazing things about production where you go, okay, here's a new problem, let's solve it. It's been right. there the whole time, but let's solve it. Cool, it's great. It was a great crew. I mean, so what a great team, right? The director of photography and the and the and the the camera operators, man, they were they were killer. And some of those days were long and grueling.
1: If you ain't shooting 14 hours, you're not doing it right.
2: Well, yeah, but I mean, this show was incredibly ambitious. You know what I mean? It had yeah. a, it had a cinematic quality to it. It had the the effects and the, and the monsters. I mean, it took a lot to pull that off. It took
4: a lot. Mm. It took a lot.
0: I love the teaser, and then later in the episode, we have the interrogation, and the sheriff is also standing behind Harris, like he, like the alpha was. Was that something that the director decided to do? Did you decide not to look back? Was it a character choice, How did that come about?
2: It had a lot to do, I think, with the way that the director wanted to tell the story in terms of, um, you know, just the, the the efficacy, the starkness of the camera angle, right? And so, if you are going to have a two shot like that, it's always going to be better to cheat the camera anyway, right? To, you know, because we're not doing an over the shoulder shot, right? So it's not a conversation. But I also imagine that I don't know this because I wasn't in those meetings, but visually it was intended to reflect the the other scene you know so it has a it creates another layer of tension i mean you know maybe it's maybe it's lyndon ashby is is the alpha you know what i mean there's mm-hmm. who has the power but you know otherwise psychologically speaking if i've got something to hide a good way to hide it is to not show you know not let someone see my eyes
3: assuming they'll be able to focus on both of them at the same time anyway
1: <sighs> that is that is <laughs> correct cool. it is cool. Mr. Harris isn't necessarily a villain, but he's definitely an antagonist towards Scott and Styles. Is it more fun playing antagonistic characters?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I remember what Jeff Davis said in the interview somewhere. He's like, Adam, Adam loves playing the villain. He, he said he relishes playing the villain. <laughs> nice. And it's true. You know, it's it's a weird thing to kind of acknowledge about about yourself. which you kind of have to do when you're an actor, particularly an on-camera actor, because we really get cast in in these types, right? These things that like sort of see our essences. And Hollywood loves to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) And I get cast in stuff where I get beaten and beat up and the audience cheers. They're like, thank God that guy was coming to him. Thank God he's dead. Cause what an asshole. (laughs) And, you know, in, in real life, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty nice guy and I'm pretty well adjusted and I make efforts to be kind. You know, I've spent a lot of money on therapy to try to overcome my penchant for sarcasm and, you know, and disdain, but it's certainly something that the camera sees immediately. And so I find that when those things are true, it's fun to lean into them, right? Right. because they become they become interesting and fun for the audience. And I think probably for the writers, too, like, I don't know. Uh, w- 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 was, was Mr. Harris supposed to be given the most amazing sarcastic lines ever written in television? Or did it <laughs> something that evolved because you're like, this guy is one sarcastic SOB, and <laughs> delivering it dryly and getting away with it, even if it's a mouthful of words, you know, but like most of the characters that I play are like that. And it's not because I'm stuck on them. And I mean, I like this year, this year, I, I, I finally made it, I did my first Hallmark Christmas movie. So in that, but even in that one, I'm kind Kind of a dick. <laughs> like everything works out in the end, but I'm kind of a dick.
0: I'm excited to see that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <Call this laughs> loves Hallmark movies, so.
2: I but I also think that whenever possible, I love my villains to have a have a have a uh, an interesting positive place in their heart.
0: On the subject of Harris having some great sarcastic lines, do you have a favorite?
2: um I really, I really like that one from the very last episode um about if you were peeing from every orifice. I would still say no. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: that's a great one. That's, that's not, the line's much better than that. You, it was written. what
1: what
0: you're talking about uh, though. Yeah.
2: But that one That one's fun. I mean, I like the long ones that you have to say trippingly on the tongue, but like, so they're very, very smart and very, very witty, right. but like cut to the quick. Um, those are, those are, those are definitely the ones I like. That's the one that comes to
4: mind.
3: So on Teen Wolf, a werewolf bite doesn't always turn someone into a werewolf. Sometimes yeah. the shape you take reflects the person you are. That's how becomes the cannabis in season two becomes the Noir. so if Harris were bitten, what do you think he would turn into?
2: You know, uh, Jeff went, went for some fairly obscure shapeshift creatures, right? <laughs> that I've never heard of before. you know what I mean that and, 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 and my, my I'm not that well versed um, in in some of those you know, sort of hidden ones. I think he would be uh, an emaciated centaur. <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> Okay.
2: Elaborate. Not expected. <laughs> so, 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 you know, this creature who, like, uh, at some point, is considered graceful and extremely powerful, but has lost all of that, and has you know has lost it to a kind of bitterness. You know, I think about just, just to kind of tie back to the Harry Potter thing. I think about those centaurs who are living off of well, the, I don't know, people are living off of their blood. They're being murdered or whatever. Yeah, Voldemort. But but they're kind of losing. They're kind of losing their power. I don't know. It's a pretty crappy answer, but that's
1: what I have.
0: No, I like that. No, That's a fun one.
1: That's unique. Do you have any, are there any particular fun memories that stick out from season one? It's a kind of a mixed
2: memory, but the night that we shot, again, I don't know what, I don't actually know what episode it is. It's toward the end of season one, when there's like a big like PTA meeting at the school and then an animal attacks. Yeah. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, that's the tell. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, all right. I think
3: I think that's the same one as the, the curly fries. So
2: probably yeah. so. Yeah, it was an insane day of shooting. It was so cold in Atlanta that day. But of course, it's like, you know, a sunny California <laughs> day. Right. And I mean, I think I think I, I think I was on set for 20 something hours that
4: day. Oh my god. Oh my god
2: hand. But at the very end what we're shooting is out in that parking lot where, you know, the amazing stunt performer who played played all all of the wolves who is now who now is the Batman. He is the stunt performer for the Batman, right? That's he's amazing, awesome. amazing, right? That's cool. He's he's so he's so extraordinary. And you know, he's running around like a traffic cone or something to give us give us all a, a, an eye line, and these are massive shots right because they're cars and they're all sorts of extras and they're big wide shots and I I got stationed to come out of the school with Orny Adams <laughs> who was <is> a trip <laughs> and like every take where suddenly people are like running or whatever he's like come on you know what I mean he was just like so he kept me amused he got me through that whole time <laughs> Because, because <laughs> it's hard. I mean, having your focus in there is so cold, and like it's going on so many hours. Like that was a that was a fun memory. It's when it's when I kind of became friends with with Orny because we didn't really have scenes together, even though we were sort of pitted against each other, or right. we we had synergy in many ways in terms of the the mm. forces of the show. So that was that was fun to get to like to get to know him and hang around, hang out with him while waiting to run around, right, and and be <laughs> crazy. You know what I mean? Because. He's 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 nuts. Um, that (laughs) That was a good one. I mean, that was that was definitely a a a good memory. One of the things that was really fun, particularly in the first season, is that I got to work with and be with lots of the Atlanta acting crew. There were so many folks that you know that are that are from here who got really great opportunities on that show, which we were all really grateful for. And we we're kind of a team here. You know what I mean? We try to really cheer each other on and support each other. Not that we're anti other places, but we're growing. We're we're growing. You know, we're growing our brand and oh yeah it's always exciting when 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 your your colleagues you know when Melissa Ponzio like goes from from here to like what to that you know what I mean what a, what a what a great and so it was always fun to get to work with work with them and we'd always take pictures of our Atlanta group and I'm like
4: yeah we're taking her, you know what I mean <laughs> that, was,
2: that was a good it was a good like community bonding situation
0: Teenville fans are some of the most passionate fans I think that's true. true.
2: that is true. Have you had
0: any memorable encounters with them that you'd like to share?
2: At that point in time, when Teen Wolf shot in Atlanta, Atlantans weren't as used to having production here all the time as they are now, right? We have like 90 things shooting here right now. So like there's production everywhere and you see people that you recognize everywhere. And it wasn't quite the case back then. And I just can't tell you how many times I would be like walking down the aisle of Trader Joe's and some young person would turn the corner and go,
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then leave, they were terrified of me. You know, they, they would have just watched, you know, I don't know, one of the episodes where I'm, you know, I'm frightening. <laughs> And, and oh, I can't believe that. Right. So that was one, one on one side of the spectrum, but the other side of the spectrum was that it would not be uncommon for a middle, a middle-aged man to like, follow me around a store. And then at some point say, Hey, I think I recognize you. Are you, are you on TV? And I would say, I would say, yes, but you're going to have to admit what you're watching. <laughs> and then they would go, Oh, you know what I mean, yes. Like, yes, I know you're watching it for the shirtless 19 year olds. I know you are, but now you, <laughs> hey, I mean, hey. uh, so, you know, those, those, those were, those were both kind of fun versions of it. I mean, it still happens today a little bit. I, and it was, I, I used to teach at another university and I mean, sometimes on first day of classes, you know, you have somebody walk in and go,
4: oh! <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you, how
2: are you, how are you my teacher? I don't understand. You know? And I'm like, well, cause
3: you double majored in acting and chemistry.
1: Exactly. That's, that's, <laughs> Yeah, I transferred from Beacon Hills High School. That's how right, that's, right. Right. that's right. That's right. <laughs>
2: Yeah. So, so, so yeah, those are, those are, those are a couple. I mean, so it's always, it's always really interesting. It's a great pleasure, right? It's a great
3: pleasure. So follow-up question, what was your experience like at conventions?
2: Yeah. So it was my first time ever like being invited to things like that. And those, those are not things that I have participated in as a, as in my private life. And so you know, it was really, it was really neat to get to kind of see that world. You know, obviously I, I didn't know that fans were as passionate as that. You know, I've seen the stories, you know, Dragon Con has, So I see the lines to get autographs, that sort of stuff. And I understand that to some degree, but, um, you know, to be taking photographs with people and you could feel their hearts like bursting out of their chest. Like I was like, are you going (laughs) to have a heart attack? Is this going to be okay? You know, it was really interesting to me because you know what I mean? I'm very interested in people, right? I'm really curious about people. And I really had a great pleasure talking to people you know what I mean? And understanding their fandom, right? What, what that is, the pleasure that they get in and the community that's around it, you know, and that's one of the things that I learned about it. Cause I was always like, wait, I don't quite get this, but then I would see people and they're like, this is our, what our friendships are based off of. I've found people who are like me and we bond over it, and we keep each other sane, you know, in the, in the tough, tough world, particularly the tough world of high school, but it, it's not necessarily easier when you're done with that, right. Of not fitting in or wanting to fit in or not understanding other people and bullying and like all that stuff like there's people who are like we have real friendships over this Or we're dressing up like you know those people it's like oh it's beautiful like it's a really beautiful idea it was also for me it was just a good a great pleasure to get to be with some of the cast again you know what i mean I don't, you know I don't, I don't see them all the time obviously we live in different places and we work and some of them are really big stars and aren't don't go out <laughs> like so so th- those things were really great i really enjoyed it in um particularly in france um, I went to several in, in England but then I, I really liked I really like France I spent a lot of time there I speak French so it you know it was nice to go and like do the convention in French, which of course is always it's fun because it's showing off a little bit too and because people go
4: oh wow. <laughs>
2: yeah so 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 yeah that was that was my experience i still have like a mug that somebody gave me as fan art you know for those mr harris specific that i like you know have in my
0: office that's awesome Um, that's really cool
2: which is fun yeah it's you know it's it's kind of lovely and 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 flattering um i wouldn't want to do it all the time it's not you know it's it's not something i'd want to like have be part of my actual economy Mm -hmm. um but it's nice it's it's nice when you know it's nice when you're invited
1: do you have a favorite episode
2: I, i don't know if that episode is really my favorite for for sure but whatever the one is where there's the rave, I just found that to be so 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 strange and weird and wonderful, right? right. Um, I also love my one stupid line in it. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great scene.
2: I don't know. I don't remember exactly what happens, but there's like they have to put something around the whole place, and people get trapped because of I don't know some kind of dust or the werewolf can't cross it. Or, I don't mean all that kind right. of stuff. Mount ash. yeah. Mountain ash. So,
3: Mountain ash.
2: Yes, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, I really liked that. I don't even know if I watched the whole thing, but I have this idea that I really liked it. Is it my favorite? I don't, hell, I don't know.
3: was a good one. It's raving. a good one. That's It's a good too. one.
2: Oh, it's called what? Rave something, right? Raving, yeah. Yeah. Raving, right, raving, yeah. Got to remember shooting that too. It was like in the middle of the night and it was pouring down rain. It was just awful. It was just, I mean, oh, it was tough.
1: Got to suffer for that art. <laughs> if you could have played any other character on the show, who do you think that would have
2: been? Well, I mean, I would have, I would have loved to play, to play D, to play the veterinarian. I mean, it would have really it's, it's just such a it's such a really neat role, right? Yeah. And it's one of those roles that like is so influential but it can go anywhere and you don't quite know what's going on with the person, you know, could be the world's greatest philanthropist could be a serial killer, right? Um, <laughs> and it has has all those twists and turns, you know. And, and I think it, it I think that it makes sense, you know. It's a the, the character, one of those characters that's very knowing, has a lot of insight into what's happening, and like tries to assist or thwart or move stuff. I mean, I think I think that would be a, a character that I'd be really interested in playing, and I think that's probably why they brought me in the audition for it, you know. Gage Go Lightly's character. I don't remember her name, but
0: uh, <laughs> uh, Erica.
2: yeah that would be yeah. fun for me, but I, <laughs> particularly in the realm of possibility,
0: would have been hard to walk in those heels. I could have done it.
2: Oh, I can do Perhaps that. You that's oh my god, that's, that's no problem.
0: Do you have any recent or upcoming projects you'd like to talk about?
2: You know, it's there's there's been a uh, a delay in production. I don't know if you've heard about this. <laughs> um, yeah. Stuff is, on, stuff is only coming back online. We have a lot of stuff in production in Atlanta right now, so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of auditioning at the moment for some really interesting stuff. The next thing that I have that's coming out, which I, I play a small supporting role, but it's an awesome supporting role, is on uh, Hulu. It's a series called a limited series called Dope Sick, which is about the U.S. prosecution of the Purdue Pharma for the op- opioid crisis, nice. and I play I play James Comey. So the former, um,
4: yeah. oh, wow. yeah, yeah.
2: So at that point in time, he's attorney general, um, and gives the go ahead. And so it's a, it's a really, really fun scene with Peter Sarsgaard and a couple of other really fantastic actors. Um, and it's just a scene, but it's in a, I mean, that, that, that shows that series is headed by Michael Keaton and it, and it's going to be, I think it's going to be really quite good. It's a, it's a hell of a cast. And, um,
0: yeah, I'm excited for that one. Yeah. I didn't really yeah. do yeah. part of it, but Yeah. Very the sp- the
2: scripts are really good. They're they're re- They're really fantastic.
3: Est-ce qu'il y a d'autres choses que vous voulez discuter?
2: Oh, c'est vrai. Uh, je je sais pas. Mais non, pas vraiment. En fait, en fait, non. On, on ok, a... d'accord. D'acc. D'acc.
3: Très bien. Merci.
2: <laughs> pas de problème.
1: <laughs> oui. so <laughs> that's the extent of my French uh adam thank you so so much for coming on and talking to us about the first season of teen wolf we i I can only speak to myself but i've had a blast you, uh, thank you it's so been much. so great talking absolutely to
2: you. my pleasure and um hey everybody thank you for making teen wolf such a success um it, it does not exist without the fans and uh and we uh, love you all and appreciate you all and i hope you enjoy watching the series
4: again
0: all right wolfies that wraps up the beta section for wolfsbane and now we're about to dive into spoilers not just for this episode but for the whole teen wolf series if you want to stay spoiler free for all the excellent stories to come jump out now and we'll catch you next week But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the Alpha.
1: What are you doing here? Visiting hours are over. And him. him. You're the one. And he's the... Oh my god, I'm gonna die. All right, Wolfies, we're going to jump back into our interview with Adam Fristo for one final spoiler-filled question. Here we go.
0: How did you feel about Harris's death?
2: Oh, it sucks. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, it sucks because it's over, but I also didn't see it coming. It's actually one of those things from shooting that actually haunts me a little bit. Because when I read the script, it says, in the final moments, it describes the shot. And the way it describes the shot is that he's being strangled and the camera's going up. And then we cut to black. We don't see him die. That's what it says in a script. And then when we got there, you know, the director was like, oh, it's, isn't this a great way to die? It's so exciting. Like, you know, I know actors love to die. And I'm like, "No, actors love jobs. And when they're dead, <laughs> like, but but fine, you know what I mean? I'll, I'm going to do my job or whatever. And then he 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 staged it so that the camera comes down. And then I we see me die. And the whole time I was like, I, I need to ask him to shoot it the other way too. Just so there's an option. Because I, you know, typically Jeff had talked to people before they died. And said hey this is coming up you know what i mean this has been a great run or whatever and i did not get that talk and when i was done shooting and i had come in to do adr for that and then i was going to get on a plane and fly back to atlanta and was going to be gone i went into the office to see jeff and jeff said hey i saw the take did you film it another way and i said no i filmed it the way that i was told to film it how can i write around that then? and so i have this nagging idea that like harris wasn't intended to die that it was a it was a cliffhanger that it was a you know, what I mean, because there are these three deaths in a row, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. they, sh- should they all be successful, or should there be something else, some other twist? Now, right. again, this is me. I'm an actor. I'm thinking about myself, you know. But I had that interaction, you know, with, with Jeff, and it was it was very odd. You know what I mean? For me to go to like, well, what is it? what does that mean? Of course, you can't go back. I mean, obviously, especially not with a setup like that. You can't go back and do it. But I really kind of kind of kick in my kick myself and go, yeah. I mean. Because if you had that option, then you could still be dead, but then you have an option. And you know, you want options in episodic. You just want, you don't want things to be finalized, right? So, I mean, I don't know. I have really weird feelings about that episode.
0: Actually, the first time we watched that, I don't know if you remember Kate, but I was actually like, I don't think there's any way Harris is actually dead. I feel like he's going to pop up at the end of the season. Uh, I still thought it was going to happen. Okay, well,
2: that's that's cool. Well, then Jeff should have written around it then. Teen Uh,
0: Wolf. No one ever actually seems to stay dead, so yeah. Teen Wolf rode around it
3: often.
2: (laughs) I know, I know, I know they do. Um, Yeah, yeah. I I didn't necessarily expect it though, because I don't live in Los Angeles, and the show Mm -hmm. had moved to Los Angeles. And and, you know, I mean, I certainly would move to Los Angeles for like a for like a series regular job, but not for not for any kind of other supporting stuff. Sure. I I like my my life really well. I have a really good life here. But Teen Wolf ends for everybody someday, right? That's
1: just how it goes. That was a great conversation we had with Adam. But I would like to jump back to something we were talking about earlier about Derek and Scott. I do think that Derek, is secretly in the dark recesses of the night, is like, Why did it have to be Scott?
0: They're, They're both early out Early the
1: styles night. is smart, you know, or whatever. And then, like, right, you know, like uh, at the very end, when Peter's all burnt and he's on the ground and Derek raises his claws to strike, he's like, You totally chose the wrong person. Tell me about slash
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes i think that's probably and not even just like an intelligence thing because honestly we've talked about this before scott can be smart
4: yes right? yes the, no the absolutely. thing
3: is he he has very myopic priorities
4: yeah. and
3: when something is at the top of his priority list, it will receive his full attention and an application of his capacity for intelligence. When something is not at the top of his priority list, he couldn't find two f- to rub together about it. And that's when he's going to say things like, he wants to make me his pet or whatever. Like, yeah. no, yep. no, that's not the same word that I said at all. Yes, And Styles' priorities are kind of different. He, yeah. to your point, Calissa, he thinks about what Derek is saying and asks follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. He yes. wants to understand. He wants to know the information that Derek has about the investigation. He wants to know more about the fire. You know, I think it's very telling that in Magic Bullet, Derek tries to tell Scott that the Argent were responsible for the hailfire that resulted in many deaths. And Scott's first reaction is, well, they must have had a reason. And Stiles isn't even present for that conversation, but he's the one that we see in the very next episode researching the hailfire. Yeah. Right. He's grabbed the file that his dad brought home to work on and is just pouring through all the documents to try to understand what happened. Yeah. And that's without even having been present for that conversation at Beacon Hills Memorial.
0: You know, he's the one that tells Chris and he seems right. like so angry about it at the time. And we never get that from Scott. I feel like throughout the entire show expresses like remorse for the way he acted in the beginning, or even just says, I'm so sorry that
3: happened to you, Derek. Yeah. Or, I know, or is toward like the Argents, like, hey, right. it wasn't cool that... Kate murdered all these people. And honestly, there were a bunch of warning signs and you ignored them because it was convenient for you. Right.
0: And I know like Styles never tells Derek he's sorry, but he's the one who brings it to Chris's attention and basically says, you you guys are the monsters here.
4: Yeah. He's
3: righteously angry on the Hale's behalf, which is something that we don't ever see really from any other character, actually.
1: That's true. Other than maybe
3: the sheriff. It's not arson. It's, it's murder. Murder. Yeah. Right. He he's very clear on this issue. Like, I don't want you to minimize the damage that yeah. this was. But it's also different coming from Styles because Styles understands the full story, and mm-hmm. Styles is the only character who does understand the full story and has anything at all to say about it. Yeah. Which is why I feel like the first time you watch the first season, at least for me, you don't necessarily understand the full gravity of Derek's backstory because mm. you know you're you're very engrossed in the action and the main story that's happening now. And Scott doesn't really
0: very much like
3: almost feels like a small
0: subplot because right. of Scott's story is the main
3: story. Right. Yeah. But the more you let yourself think about it, the worse it becomes. Right. Yeah. Because every detail that we learn about it is worse than the previous detail. Right. You know, even heading into season 3A with the explanation of how werewolves get tattoos Mm -hmm. and the understanding of how much werewolves can be burned and survive. Mm -hmm. And in this very episode... Seeing Allison trace the the claw marks on the floor at the Hill House, you yeah. know, every detail about it is worse than what you already knew. But it does feel like very, very minor information in the context of the main story. And I think it's because that is how Scott sees it. I have no thoughts, <laughs> yeah. no, no follow up questions. That sounds like a personal issue, a family yeah. thing.
0: I'm just going to stay out of it.
1: My thought is probably those kids deserved it somehow. It's...
3: Right. There were kids in in the house. Also, burning alive has got to be one of the worst possible ways to go. Not to mention the fact that it was, by definition, a hate crime, and that there were survivors, plural, as it turns out. And yeah, just, it's, it's all terrible. It's a big ball of awful.
4: Yeah.
1: While Jackson is figuring things out about Scott and starting to make plans about his supernatural future, Allison has an interaction with Kate at the Hill House, where she says some things that directly apply to her future coming up. Calissa, can you talk to us about it?
0: I find this really fascinating, knowing what happens. Allison's saying, like, even if someone killed my family, I wouldn't turn into a murderer. And that's Mm -hmm.
3: exactly what happens in season two. Right. What a tremendous setup and foreshadowing this is. Yeah. Because... Allison, girl, you are so wrong. (laughs) You're so wrong. It doesn't even have to be your whole family. It doesn't even have to be an actual murder. It doesn't even have to be you trying to kill the person directly responsible for that person's death. Like Mm -hmm. the version of events that she actually experiences in season two has so many more mitigating factors than what we're talking about with Derek's family. Like Derek's family was brutally murdered all of them intentionally and with extreme prejudice. Allison's mom was bitten to stop her from murdering someone else when they didn't do anything. And then she chose to kill herself with the full knowledge and help of her husband. And Allison, in those circumstances, which again, definitely still not as extreme of circumstances as what happened to the Hales. She still totally loses her mind and wants to kill not only Derek for biting her mother, but his betas for... Existing. Existing? I mean, really, it's like, yeah, the those situations are so drastically different. And it turns out that Allison was just so wrong about what she would do. But it is interesting, too, because in this scene, Allison says that she wants to feel powerful. And I feel like season two to some degree is the full expression of that. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. wanting to feel powerful is a normal human desire, but it can so easily be perverted. Yeah. Power corrupts. And I, I feel like when Allison finds her power, it is sort of a corrupting force yeah. to, to her moral compass.
1: I like the quote, power reveals, instead of mm-hmm. power corrupting. That it's like, it was always there, It was just power gave it form and focus. But it does seem like Allison's got a lot of Kate and Gerard in her. Yes. uh, And it's like, not great. Not great. She needs more Chris (laughs) because he's a lot more even keeled.
3: He is a lot more. uh, I mean,
1: he he is very malleable and can be persuaded is the generous term (laughs) to do things. But I mean, he doesn't lose his shit. You know, Victoria died, you know, kills herself and he's part of it and as far as we know they love each other very much i still have questions about that marriage but um, <laughs> i i my head canon in, in that it was the coming together of two houses to make mm-hmm. a more powerful house So this wasn't mm-hmm. oh they fell in love and all, like say nope this is power this is politics in the hunter world and all that because they're not really they're never overly affectionate towards each other they're never you don't need the
3: word overly you don't need that no you're right you're right
1: (laughs) yes there's like no affection Yeah, they stand next to each other but that's really about it
3: i believe that their sex life is probably eventful though oh yeah Mm. that is
1: victoria's up top so yeah yeah that's fine that's okay
3: like when they arranged that marriage she was like do you peg good
0: i love the moment later i believe it's it's 3b because i believe it's before allison's death like really close to before whenever she tells chris that she's proud of him Mm -hmm. i really love that moment because yeah it shows that they've both grown so much but yeah she recognizes that was hard for him to like kind of leave the ways of his family Mm -hmm. yeah and to move into the new code that she
3: came up with and it's just a really heartbreaking moment it's really good. Yeah. I I really love the the transition of the codes. That's I'm really yes. excited to talk about that later. Even Chris's interpretation of the code such as it is at this point is loose. It is a loose <laughs> interpretation because we hunt those who hunt us. Like Derek hasn't actually done anything to them.
1: I right. feel like yeah, I I think that that's more like a generalization.
3: But Derek hasn't done anything to any of the humans, really. I mean, he, like, threats and postures and stuff. He, he he threatens and postures and things like that, but he hasn't killed anyone.
0: Well, I don't think Chris would have killed Derek. I feel like he wanted to get him and, like, interrogate him to see if he knew who the Alpha was. Mm. I don't think he would have killed him. He yeah, would too. have killed him.
1: Oh. Well, then, well she was well, going to kill him.
0: She, like, she tried The to. whole, like... You know, I don't know. She has a complicated relationship with Derek because, yeah, she wants to toy with him. But I feel like Chris, he was hunting him to interrogate him. I don't feel like he ever intended to kill Derek. Yeah. But he he doesn't have a nice way to go about it.
1: No, his...
0: Not like for good people... And only hunt those that hunt us. It's like, I'm going to be a prick to every werewolf and like name him a little bit and be shitty about his dead family. Well,
1: but Chris is definitely <laughs> Chris is definitely specious. You know, I mean, he is like he doesn't like supers. Like supers yeah. are just not something he's into. But you're right, he's not gonna just murder them all. You know, he's like, Well, if you didn't do anything, I'm gonna let you go on your way. I'll be a dick. I'll probably break some windows on your car. But I mean, you can go on and shoot the way you. <laughs> and shoot you, you're gonna heal, you'll be fine. So Kate, what do you think Beacon Hills was like when the Hales were in charge?
3: I think that when there was a good alpha there, Talia, Hale, I think shit was quiet. Yeah. I feel like because she really knew what she was doing, was good at being an alpha, and also came from, I presume, generations of werewolves, she kept things under control there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There weren't hunters running around being crazy. There weren't other alphas coming into town biting people and turning them, like none of that stuff was happening. It was peaceful. It Stuff was under control. All of which in this context is to say that I think Derek could be forgiven for thinking like Beacon Hills is like a normal place. Like, yeah, there are werewolves here, but at least during his time when he used to live there, stuff was pretty normal. They had security cameras and police officers as towns are wont to do. <laughs>
4: yeah.
3: And then <laughs> once he comes back, I think it slowly uh sinks in that like mm, shit has gone downhill since there was a stable alpha presence in beacon hills
1: yeah also as the series progresses all police and security guards are murdered correct horribly so it's just like janitors yeah janitors janitors who are only (laughs) days
3: away from retirement
1: oh oh janitor slappy you (laughs) were days away from retirement
0: i hope that people are paid well in this town for being like security guards and everything You would have
1: to be if, I mean, how else are you going to get people to come be a security guard at anywhere,
3: anywhere. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's because at this point, Derek assumes that there isn't going to be anything dangerous in there and that the biggest risk would actually just be showing his face and having swarms of law enforcement descending on the building before they can get the information that they need.
1: I get that Derek wasn't expecting any danger when he went into the hospital, but what about Laura Hale when she came back to Beacon Hills?
3: She got lured
0: back. He had to be the one to lure her back. Oh, that's right. I forgot right. about the so luring. So he was in control there. The luring. Right. I
1: completely forgot about but the But it wasn't like the nurse gear. took it
3: upon herself. She right. didn't know it. She had to know from him. Which Der- they they reveal in, uh, in the finale, I believe, is yeah. when Scott presents that information to Derek. But at this point, because it's not totally clear how exactly the events played out with Laura coming to Beacon Hills, but we do know that she wasn't very forthcoming about it to Derek, right? Like he didn't know what all she was doing, what she was investigating until later. So I think it's plausible that Derek had no idea at this time that Peter had lured her back. And I, I feel like maybe part of the reason that Derek does by this story is because derek still blames himself for the fire yeah so when peter says you know the fire is the reason that i'm like this that sort of confirms how derek already feels about it right you yeah. know that like this is all his fault more so than it's peter's
1: and of course peter takes complete advantage of that
3: right because that's exactly what peter does i wouldn't be surprised if peter actually knew
0: well you know how i, yeah. feel. I know oh, how wow. close
3: feels yeah this. Calissa has fan-in around this. That, that that's the thing. As we get to different parts, we have to talk about like, here's what Calissa and I believe about this because we've discussed it extensively. What? And one of them we've
0: had years to do it. we've
3: had years. Yeah.
1: What's your fan in Calissa?
3: Well, I've told
0: you before that. Um, I feel like Kate and Peter should have been in on it, but yes. she betrayed him double cross and he was in the fire whenever he didn't, he wasn't supposed to be yeah. from his point of view.
1: Yeah. No, that's a great idea. That is a a really cool idea that they were working together. I should have been a writer. Yeah, you're really good at it. Shit, that is really good. That is really good. Mm.
3: So I think that Peter might actually know about the saga of Kate and Derek and in his subtle manipulative way is using Derek's guilt about the fire to get Derek, not to forgive him because I don't think Derek ever really does, but to make enough of an excuse for him to yeah. go along with what he wants to do.
1: Yeah. If they had been on let's say that, that that is what happened. I feel like there would be no need to seduce Derek.
0: Well, I think that was just for fun. Cause I mean, she's attracted to teen boys. We have that. that is on she's record. attracted to vulnerable people.
1: On record. I think
0: she just did that for fun and maybe, just to know like, yeah, like more vulnerabilities, Mm -hmm. like including Peter's vulnerabilities. Cause like if they'd come up with time to set the fire whenever Peter wasn't in the house, She would then have to know, when is Peter going to be in the house and be vulnerable so I can set the fire to include
3: him. Which she does find out from Derek, because if you remember in the book, they talk about, well, and in Search for a Cure, right? They talk about how Wolf Moon has great cultural significance for werewolves. Yeah. That, you know, they all come to, all the pack comes together, they celebrate. And so Derek is how she finds out about that. Because I still have trouble believing that there are such large gaps in the Argent's knowledge about werewolf anatomy and how that kind of stuff works. Yeah. However, I don't find it hard to believe that there are gaps in their knowledge about werewolves culturally because I don't, Mm -hmm. they see them as animals.
4: Yeah. Right. So they're not like,
3: so what are your social... And religious beliefs or whatever, you know, I I don't think they're talking to them about that kind of stuff. So I don't find it hard to believe that they wouldn't know that sort of thing. So Kate finds out from Derek when the whole pack is going to be under the same roof. Yeah. Right? So according to the book, she gets two pieces of information from Derek. First, that he's a werewolf, which she gets by drugging his drink. And second, when his family is going to be all in one place, which is her opportunity to kill them all at once. Yeah. Because he says something like, oh, all my family's coming into town. Because he never actually, he doesn't give up their secret. You know, he doesn't say these things to her. Yeah. Right. Um, But he, he says as close to it as he can get, which is we're having kind of like a family reunion, like a family yeah. get together where we're all going to be celebrating and stuff. So I think Calissa, if your sort of fan theory were placed in the other things that we know about this storyline, I do think it's still plausible that A, she used Derek because she's evil, but then also B, she gets more information from him as well. Like, when is the time when I can kill them all at once? Like, cause maybe, right. maybe Peter's thing was just kill Talia.
0: That's true.
3: You know, it might not have even been about the whole pack. It was about-
0: Because he'd want to have his own pack to control
1: yeah Yeah. that's all cool that's all really good stuff
0: and I still stand by the fact that I feel like I know it gets complicated because Jeff said that it wouldn't just transfer Laura had to kill someone to become an alpha but I feel like in my heart of hearts that it did just transfer and I feel like Peter would have believed he was her second he was next in line
3: and wouldn't that have been fucking incredible in a flashback to have like the moment where Peter realizes that Tali is dead and he's not the alpha oh my god
1: yes that would be that moment where we see him with the crazy hair in the fire in the crazy face (laughs) he's like that's that moment
0: no i feel like that would be the moment that he realizes he was betrayed yeah right and he thought i feel like he would have thought he's the one who had the upper hand in the relationship yeah like she's a hunter but i'm taking advantage of her to get what i want yeah and obviously kate's like ha ha no
1: he thought he was seducing her
3: It's like the reverse interrogation at the beginning of The Avengers, you know, with Black Widow. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, you're not interrogating me, I'm interrogating you.
1: Yeah, oh, when she's tied to the chair? Yeah,
3: Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I just let you think that you got me, Yeah. so I can get you to tell me things.
1: We know Derek pushed aside any thoughts and feelings he might have had about Peter actually being the alpha, but do you think anyone else... And Teen Wolf has done the same thing about someone close to them.
3: I feel like the same could be said of Chris Argent's reaction when Stiles says that thing about, oh, well, I know you have a code and I'm sure everybody in your family follows that code, right? And then he's like, who are you talking about? And Stiles is like, your sister. And then it, it cuts away and we don't see Chris again until he's reached the Hale House, by which time he has completely come to believe and internalized the information Silas has just told him, which is that his sister is a mass murderer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I feel like it is one of those things where like similar to what I said about Derek, he just, he had a mental block. All the pieces were there, but there was something in his head that he could not get past because this was his family. There's a little element of willful ignorance where he needed to have someone tear down that last obstacle before yeah. his mind could get there it yeah. was just cognitive dissonance city before then that he heard all these very clear-cut red flags but he needed someone to say it to his face yeah to remove that last obstacle and allow himself to believe what part of him already knew to be true which is that kate is a murderer yeah yeah and that concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills.
0: We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast, as well as on Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And don't forget to find us at patreon.com slash rtbhpodcast for more awesome exclusives. Join us here next week for our look at Season 1, Episode 10, co-captain and for our wonderful talk with actor melissa ponzio who played scott's mom melissa mccall free to review us on itunes five-star reviews get a shout out have a great week and we'll see you again soon on return to beacon hills
3: dude it's beacon hills